0: Hello and welcome to the B&B show. My name is Brandon Kane, and this guy here to my left, that's going to be Seahawks, Brendan Nelson in the house here with our weekly now, not twice, we can get down to weekly here in the offseason B&B show. And we've got uh, one that's a kind of a special one, not on our normal list of the shows we've got scheduled for this offseason, but a a fun one nonetheless. Brendan, I appreciate you coming on in here tonight. How you doing this evening?
1: I am doing pretty good tonight, man. It's been a very interesting week, uh, week or so here, and uh, I'm I'm here for it. At the end of the day, this is what we wanted, and this is what we got, and now we've uh, just gotta do the right thing for this part of it.
0: It does seem, like we're really early on in this this coaching search, but uh, you feeling the general direction this thing is taking in their process and and what they're under in their undertaking to looking for this next head coach, just kind of generally.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think we're getting some indication. Schneider gave a press conference a handful of days ago where he kind of went over some stuff and didn't give too much away. But I feel like he gave a little bit away. I feel like he did say some stuff that was educational, did say some stuff that was interesting. And um, I feel like I learned something from that conference in terms of what he might be looking for. We're starting to see what these other teams are going to do. And that's obviously very relevant because um, there are going to be certain guys taken off the board by these other teams and what they're doing. So we're seeing what's starting to develop there. We've gotten some, I would say, surprising non-firings, which means that there's gonna be less hirings. Uh, it's starting to shape up.
0: That works in our favor, wouldn't you say? Like, a, a, not a not a McCarthy going on the market on top of the fact Schneider referenced him as being a coach he liked, maybe becoming a Hawks coach if he was, but mm-hmm. that helps us in the search with one less team trying to pull from the talent pool.
1: Right. And and Philly not firing Sirianni because, you know, they would have gone all out to get the best guy possible because that's what they do in Philadelphia. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's a desirable spot, even though there's a ton of pressure on you to succeed immediately. It's still a very desirable b- place to go, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think that the Falcons getting Belichick, which looks like that's what's going to happen, is great because that's not a guy who I had on my list at all. And he gets to go to a team that I think is the most appealing for a new head coach because mm-hmm. of their roster and because of their owner, because of their flexibility. I think that's great. I think that Pittsburgh keeping Tomlin is preferable. I prefer that to any other thing that could happen vis-a-vis Pittsburgh and Tomlin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, Pierce? yeah.
0: I, Pierce looks like he's going to the Raiders here, right? Peralta, um, They're I've poking around.
1: Yeah, they're poking yeah. around, but I'd be a little surprised if they moved off of Pierce. I mean look, they, they need to save money. Antonio Pierce is a great way to save money. That's a guy who probably thought he was never going to be a head coach in his life. He was just a positional coach. He was probably good with that. And, um, yeah, now he's got this opportunity. He'll probably work for a couple million bucks, make it yeah. happen.
0: Yeah. And they're paying two coaches right now off the books that are not on their coaching their team anymore. So definitely, right. like you say, it could be on top of, they've been known for being a bit of a cheaper organization. Mm-hmm. one of the reasons they moved to the Raiders in the first place. So the pool, the pool team lessons down, Brendan, which helps us out. Um, we also then start to get a little bit more of some announcements here on the, uh, on the um, interviews that the Seahawks are going to conduct. What I do like about this process, Brendan, is the NFL has kind of forced these teams to be exhaustive in their process. Now Schneider was talking about the rules and the boxes you have to check as far as all the things that you have to do to make sure that you're uh, fitting to the rules and regulations um, for these hirings now, and that does mean that I think the forced team to to be a little bit less of oh, we just want this guy, and now they've really got to turn them over and look them at, and it'll slow everything down. It seems, but um, we've gotten more candidates. Ox are beating the road, aren't they? I mean, they're they're calling all the lines, huh? Everybody's everybody's getting a call.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if you if you don't do it that way, you shouldn't do it, right? Um, unless you've already got somebody in house that you're gonna roll with and you feel really good about then you're, I think you're obligated to search under every single possible rock. And it seems like that is what we're doing. Uh, I like it. Uh, I don't love everybody that we're looking at, but I'm also <laughs> at the same time, there aren't a lot of candidates we've looked at that I just hate. You know, I, I can no. talk my, I can see the benefit of most things. There yeah. there are some things that would be a bridge too far, like uh, Arthur Smith as head coach but mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. That's of course, that's not going to happen. So, you know, it, it's ultimately kind of my job here to really try to parse through the narrative when I'm looking at these coaches and try to figure out what the actual positives and negatives could be.
0: The Graham one would be tough though. Like that, that would be, you go from coach Carroll to Graham,
1: like that, that would sting just. A yeah. Bit. I'm going to talk about him a little bit tomorrow. I actually, uh, <laughs> um, he's actually one of the next guys on my list here, but yeah, that that would be a hard sell.
0: <laughs> Can you imagine going to Carol to Graham? I was like, uh, ah, yeah. you know, he doesn't like the blitz. He hasn't had the best of defenses recently, but uh, okay, he did okay work this past year, I guess. So yeah, uh, pretty decent. But pretty I decent. mean, at the end of
1: the day, here here's my thing: like, if you hire the next guy and he doesn't work out, he'll be out of here in two years. He's easy to move off of. That was it's the true. thing with Carol, right? Carol was hard to move off of. Mm-hmm. Because he had a floor. He had a high floor, relatively speaking. And he was entrenched in the French organization because of what he had done in the past. At the very least, even if the next guy we hire is uh, Arthur Smith or Lincoln Riley, you're going to get them out of there no problem in a couple years if things don't go well. Because they have no roots. They have no history of success that keeps them in town.
0: It's true. It's very true, and uh, that's why it's just about committing to getting the right guy. It isn't about having to hold on to old, but commit to the right process. You don't have to magically find the right one every time, but you're you're seeking to do that if you can find it. But just committing to the process there of then. Um, So you like the list so far? You feel pretty good about that. The Schneider press conference just wanted to ask you about this one as well. I got a general indication from him. Obviously, he was doing his his job of kind of tiptoeing around like through a landmine field as far as giving out any real nuggets. But I did get a little bit from him, Brendan, that he was. Leaning a little bit to the offensive side of the ball and some mm-hmm. of what I was taking away. Did you get that same kind of feel in general terms?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think the things that he said are very obviously true. This idea of like if you hire a defensive head coach, then your quarterback gets the rug pulled out from under him constantly because he keeps losing his coordinators. Mm. Whereas if you give him stability in terms of an offensive head coach, you uh you're gonna be good. He he brought up the Alex Smith situation, which might be the all time example. Of jerking a quarterback around yeah um and that makes a lot of sense right I'm sure he knows even though I do think he likes Geno Smith and is good with Geno Smith for now we're not that far away from drafting a new quarterback be it this offseason or next offseason or two offseasons from now then the QB of the future is coming soon and he's probably thinking like how can I give that quarterback the best possible chance to succeed it's by having an offensive coach that um can grow old with that quarterback.
0: Yeah. Well, you notice he didn't say something like, "Well, we've got to get the, you know, defensive coordinator here because we, we got to worry about the development of this defensive player here, right? The middle linebacker or Witherspoon, you know, so we can make sure that we're, you know, he went to the offensive side of the ball and chose the Alex Smith example, Brendan, which is part of where I I pull that from a little bit of the lean to the offensive side of the ball and what he's showing you and um, the Packers' background there with him in Green Bay. I mean, all those years Green Bay has been looking at head coaches through the years from. Holmgren to Sherman, to Ray Rhodes, to Mike McCarthy, uh, to LaFleur. Uh, those guys are all tending to be offensive side of the ball with the exception of Rhodes for, I think, two-year period. And they didn't last long with Rhodes as a defensive coordinator there. So they do go that way. That is his tenant. That's his background. He was meeting with Ron Wolf. his you know, mentor. Um, certainly, I'm sure Ron was probably instructing him a little bit in that same direction of things, which it's just cool to hear guys like Holmgren and Ron Wolf in his ear, Brendan. Isn't it nice to know that your mm-hmm. general manager is having those kind of very smart minds that are informing him and letting him know a little bit of, you know, just helping to guide the process? It can't hurt. Can't hurt. Yeah, absolutely. I was referencing it was a little bit in my, uh, I was doing a, a member stream today, Brendan. I was referencing a little bit like, I don't know if you ever saw this. There's this call that you can find on YouTube of a call that John Kennedy's placing back in the day as he's being recorded to Dwight Eisenhower during the missile crisis and he's just kind of debriefing and updating Eisenhower on the on the phone call and it's just kind of a cool little moment as you know he doesn't have to do that Eisenhower's not a president anymore it's just kind of a a sign of respect thing but then Eisenhower's also doing a great job on his side not telling Kennedy what to do but just trying to be the supportive guy that you would hope the guy could be in that moment and guiding and helping him down the right path um which was no doubt a real stressful time at that moment so you got to think, and I, I just got kind of picture John and them the same way in the war room, you know, with Wolf and Holmgren in there, uh, maybe at the same time. Yeah, that, would, that would have been really cool. But um, let's get to the real good nugget here, Brendan, on this. Um, um, I've had time now to look at this coaching search. You've had time to look at this coaching search since we've last talked. We're going to discuss some guys that are maybe some lesser known name guys that uh, people aren't maybe discussing about as much that maybe you you like, or I like a little bit more. Um, but let's, let's give the people, as we've had a chance to do our research on this the kind of a bottom line top five list of where we stand right now with the coaching search is the who are the guys that we really would like to see them hire from the background stuff that we've looked into here um, and kind of we'll go from five down to one so we won't lead with the top Brendan we'll we'll tease the top at the at the front of the stack on this one though I'm sure both of our subs know which way we probably lean on this as we get asked these questions quite a bit at least on the top side of it but let's start with um, let's start with number five for you. And, um, give me, give me yours and, and then I'll go back and we'll just kind of react to each other's on this on, on why and where you came to what you came to
1: on them. I, well, one thing that I want to stress here is it is really hard for people like you and me and pretty much anybody who is a fan of a team on the outside looking in to know who's going to actually be a good head coach, because there's the aspect of producing good football And then there's also the perspective of, are you a leader of men? And it's that latter part that you can't really know until they get in there and actually take over. Like, before 2020, I don't think any fan would have been able to predict educatedly that Kevin Stefanski was going to be one of the best coaches in the league and Joe Judge was going to be completely inept. I don't think you could have done that. I think that you would have made a guess, maybe an educated guess. But I mm. think it would have been, how, how would you be able to know that Joe Judge would have picked up nothing from Bill Belichick and Stefanski would, if anything, look like he's going to be better than the guys that he learned from. So it's really hard to do this. And I'll say this, there are a few guys that I feel like are a little interchangeable when we have this conversation because they've done impressive things at their various stops in their career. Mm -hmm. And we just can't know if they're going to be leaders of men, if they're going to be able to actually take on that head coaching responsibility. There's no way we're going to be able to know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, My number five, with all that being said, would be uh, I am going with Dave Canales, currently of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, still alive in the postseason, by the way. Still Mm -hmm. alive in the postseason. Got that postseason victory under his belt. Uh, 43 years old, Um, he's only got one year of coordinator experience, which does throw me off a little bit here, but the thing with Canales is, is you look at his resume, it's pretty much all in Seattle, mm-hmm. so it, it, you look at what he was doing here, you almost wonder if he was on the head coaching track, and then he kind of realized he could fast track it if he left the city to go to Tampa Bay to be an offensive coordinator. Okay. And maybe that kind of threw off his plan. Maybe he was the guy who was playing to eventually take over as the head coach. Now, um, I think that his resume in Seattle is, speaks for itself. It's very impressive. He got Geno Smith on the right track in 2022, which was very impressive. Um, he had some success as the passing game coordinator in 2020 and 2021. He helped fix Russell Wilson who after 2017, his, he was broken. I feel like after 2017, his fundamentals were in the dirt and Canales became his quarterback coach. And he did great work getting Wilson back up to that elite level. And before then, I think he did phenomenal work as a wide receiver coach in Seattle. So my number five would be Dave Canales. Um, Definitely somebody that I've really been turned on to recently after not being so sure, because that one year of coordinator experience thing is tough. So I, yeah. like, I like him well enough.
0: Definitely. Certainly a guy too. Corbin's been pushing, banging the put, banging the drum for him big time. Um, I, I've i got a lot of hesitancy myself with Canales. I, I think some of it does come back to backtracking to his time with Russ. And when I did, did a lot of looking at Russ through the years and his time here, I, I don't know if I always saw as much a big development part of his game. He got a little bit better at the line of scrimmage than when he's younger. You know, he got a little bit better at progression reading, but he's kind of was always the same through all the years. I mean, he just sort of was the same guy he'd always been. And while I'll give you, he definitely did great work with Gino and he's done phenomenal work with Baker Mayfield getting his best year and hell, I mean, that team's with that defense, anything's possible, right? They can shut down anybody and he can, they offense certainly can do enough on their side. They've been really good too, as well. I mean, it's, he's done great work there this year. Um, running a pretty balanced offense overall, but I, I do look at Brennan on him as a a guy that he's only got the one year of coordinating experience. I'm not sure about the time with Russ necessarily in Seattle and then the other candidates that just have a little bit more richer kind of experience behind him a bit, but his star seems to be on the rise. And I'll tell you this, he's in that place that I think that, I think Bobby X here too, Brennan, Werns. I think they're in that Ben Johnson place from last year where you give him one more year and then we're talking about him being a no doubter head coaching possibility next season. And if that's the case, why not get out ahead of it a year like you're advocating for? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh well, uh my number five on my list on this one, Brendan, is going to actually be Brian Callahan, uh, who is going to be the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, he has overtaken for me Dan Quinn, who's fallen down to my sixth role. He's dropping, dropping right now, like a a, a bit of a brick for me in my mind. But Brian Callahan, I, I went back and just kind of looked again back at what he's done in in Cincinnati in three years. And I think, in my opinion, it's very hard to, to create a great offense, Brendan, when you do not have good pass protection and you do not have a good run blocking line. It is very hard to do that. I mean, I'm talking to top end offense. And when Burrow walked in there, along with Brian Callahan walking in there, that's not what they had to work with. And he was able to maximize Burrow's abilities and his anticipatory throws and, and get him as a high volume passer rather than trying to bang their running game into a wall, which they never seem to have any kind of consistent running game because they just don't have the blockers if you watch the games creating the space in the holes i mean they can it's, they now have gotten it up to being better at pass protecting. That's, that was something that's kind of guided along with Burrow through the years. But every year, he's got productivity out of that offense and top-end productivity out of that offense. His father was a former head coach in this league and a head coach down at the uh, college level, former offensive line coach. So he's got a little bit of a, a history as far as the head coach. You're not coming into this completely flying blind like some coaches might be in these circumstances. And then just as the cherry on top to me, what he did with Jake Browning this past year, I don't think Jake Browning is all that in a bag of chips. I think what this guy is able to do and what he's showing back there um, as a coordinator and the ability to help his quarterbacks out, making the game easier for them and how they scheme stuff up and especially scheming up some of the easier throws, sometimes on the back of that anticipation, you know, and and reading those option routes. um, He's really good at that. And I think he would be a, a bright mind to bring in here and another guy that's on the rise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Callahan is very interesting. He's got five years coordinator experience, which people are definitely going to be into over somebody who has like one, right? He's mm-hmm. actually got an extensive background doing this stuff. And uh, he had bad years, but he didn't really have much to work with those couple years that he was bad. He kind of kept the boat afloat with Browning this year, which very impressive. Browning's a uh, Browning barely cut it in college. Honestly, if we're being honest, right. By, by the end there, he was just barely starter caliber. He does not have an NFL arm at all, and um, he was able to keep it going there. Um, I, I'm on board with pretty much anybody who's got a background with Peyton Manning, see if he learned anything from that period of time when he was in Denver where he got his start with uh, with the uh, Peyton Manning Broncos, uh, helped win the Super Bowl there. Uh, QB coach in a couple different places, nothing extraordinary, right? Like when he was the QB coach for Matt Stafford, Stafford had typical Stafford seasons. hmm uh, in Oakland when he was with Derek Carr, Derek Carr had typical Derek Carr seasons, right? Just you know, not good, not bad, just normal, pretty much. Right. Um. And yeah, once the Bengals got that crew going, it was uh wide. Uh, um. It, it's been good, man. They 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 almost won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They probably should have, honestly.
0: Yeah. And to your point, once you you went from having the who's the Washington bust receiver that ran four two. What was his name? John Ross. So he went from having, you know, a John Ross is your number one receiver, kind of when he walk, first walks in there as coordinator, To then you get Jamar Chase, then you get T. Higgins, then you get J- Burrow in there a little bit. And once you give him something good, this is part of why I like him, is once he's gotten the, the great talent, he's, he's found a way to maximize that great talent, get the most out of it. And uh, especially being a guy offensive-minded, leaning that side of the ball. Uh, I like what I see out of Callahan, man. I think he'd be a, a pretty good candidate. Give me your number uh, four on your list here.
1: Okay, number four, I am going to go with, this is one of the guys we've actually requested an interview with, was not somebody that we talked about that much uh, last week. Uh, It's uh, Frank Smith. Frank Smith of the Miami Dolphins voted the number one coordinator in all of NFL, all of the NFL this most recent season for his work under Mike McDaniel in Miami. So two years offensive coordinator. Obviously this year the Dolphins' offense was pretty remarkable, pretty up there, uh, almost thirty points a game, 0.095 EPA per play, fourth. The year before that they were good, eleventh in points per game. And remember, Tua missed some games. And uh, honestly, at this point, how good do we even feel like Tua is? That's I don't think very point. many people think Tua is even good. And there you've got that elite offense. So Frank Smith, two really nice years over in Miami. Uh, before then, he um, the, he was a tight end coach in Oakland during some years where they ran everything through their tight ends as a passing attack. Darren Waller, Jared Cook, Foster Moreau. It was a very tight end heavy offense, and he was the tight end coach during that time. Uh, he was a tight end coach for the Bears. Um, he was trying to develop Zach Miller, the, the other Zach Miller, and mm-hmm. then Zach Miller got hurt. The other Zach, both Zach Millers got hurt a lot, I
0: guess. (laughs) Don't be a tight end named Zach Miller in the NFL. You're going to have a short career.
1: Uh, Assistant offensive line coach under Sean Payton in New Orleans. Some really good offensive linemen during that period. Teron Armstead. Uh, Ben Grubbs, Jonathan Goodwin, Jari Evans, Zach Streep, Jermon Bushrod, Carl Nix, John Stitchcomb. Most of those guys made at least one Pro Bowl in their career. And yeah, it's a pretty nice resume. The question is, how do you separate it? from what Mike McDaniel was doing. How do you separate the Frank Smith from the Mike McDaniel? That's hard, but that's often going to be the risk you take when you're trying to hire a coach. How do you separate what they did from what the guy above them was doing?
0: Yeah. I think it gets particularly hard too with McDaniels because he actually calls the plays there as the offensive coordinator. So it's, that's where it gets a little bit tough too, where it's like, well, and then there's that, but then that also doesn't necessarily be a negative thing, Brendan, because then it can be, well, then he'll be more willing to just take on the head coaching role and hire a coordinator to call the plays where some of these whiz kids, whiz offensive minds want to be the head coach. And then they want to call the plays in addition, which I'm always saying, have a guy doing that. You just be the head coach, have that be your position, what you do. And, um, When you look at the Dolphins specifically, Brendan, it it was the stat that really jumped to my mind when you look at the early 2000s and the use of pre-snap, post-snap motion in the NFL, and you look 10 years forward into how much it's utilized now, and this is a team in the Dolphins that's at the forefront of utilizing that, of confusing defenses both right before the snap and right after the snap by some of that that post-movement. And it, uh, it is a part of where I think offenses are going. That's part of the trend setting and offensively speaking and to lean into that. And that is a place that when you look at our offense in recent years, there's too many snaps where everybody's just standing still at the snap on the outside. Nobody's in movement or motion. You're not challenging the linebackers eyes on a fly sweep back across the formation. You're know, you're making it easier for them. And this offense with the dolphins, man, and there's high candy going every different direction, Brendan, it's here. It's over here. This guy's going this way, fake flip this way, fake flip that. And, uh, the point that you make about Tua is one that should not be understated in that, you know, Tua is what he is, right? Can we just say that? Can we say that without having to be shamed for it? Because there's this like, give him his props, give him his props. No, he is what he is. You know, he has a hard time throwing 30 yards down the football field in a stiff wind. That's, and, that's, yeah. that's Tua. And, and he's working around that and creating a prolific offense. So able to work around the talents he has with a diverse background, like you talked about in a variety of different places. Yeah, and that Miami
1: a, offensive line's not good either. Really, the what? The Miami offensive line's not good either. Really.
0: No, they've been they've been trying to cobble that thing together for a while, and even Teron Armstead, dude's good. What is he good for? Ten games a year, and then he mm-hmm. they, usually you're if he's not injured and fighting through, you're filling him in with somebody that's going back to his Saints days. So yeah, I think he's, what they've gotten done there, they've, and using Waddle and, and I mean, leaning into the strengths of those guys, right? You're not having Waddle and Reek just running traditional routes up the field and then asking Tua to hit 15 yard post routes on a line down the field as the safety's closing. You know, you're like, no, let's have Tua just get the ball out of his hands, take advantage of his quick accuracy and get it into our, our playmaker's hands and let him work with the ball, leaning into the talents. And that's a guy, like you said, with, a, with an offensive line background, with a, um, Uh, with a um, tight end background, you know, willing to do that really impressive too. underrated as well. What they do in the run game where he mosered a chain. The fact that they turned a chain into like, he looked like Chris Johnson this year when he was going. Yeah. Um, Very impressive season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, my fourth guy is going to be consult my list here. Make sure I'm right. This Uh, is going to be Mike McDonald is my, uh, is my number four. This is going to be the, defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, a very hot commodity out there right now here in this league. Um, a guy's being spoken about a lot. Um, I think we've, we have requested an interview with him, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're trying to. I don't think we're it's trying. beneficial, but we do plan on it. it seems like
0: He's um, Mike McDonald is a guy that runs the most uh, maybe the most complicated or one of the most complicated defenses in all the NFL. He learned at the feet of Wink Martindale and where Wink Barndale just gets kind of like ready fire aim with his blitz approach, Mike McDaniel is much more sniper like in how he's choosing to do it. He's much more understanding I think than Wink is at times of bringing those stack fronts f- running into the four man fronts that you end up in, right? That it's only four guys rushing the passer, so you but you end up dropping those guys into coverage with purpose to a spot, but that you're always creating that confusion first and foremost at the line of scrimmage and making those quarterbacks have to try to make a call, you know? First get your line calls right. Who's coming, who isn't, Brendan? You know, just decide, this guy's here, that guy, no, no him. Yes, him, that's the mic, then up over here, then over there. And then when you're wrong post-snap, what does that mean for that offensive line when they guess wrong, when that quarterback's guess wrong in his protections? And it happens a lot. It happened to us all over that game that we played against the Ravens. Did it not, Brendan? I mean, it was yeah. everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of that going on here. And you watch some, you know, Ravens defensive tape right now. It, it's pretty wild, the stuff they're doing, the stuff they're cooking up. Yeah. Like there's some stuff going on there that clearly would translate to anywhere because honestly the Ravens defensive players don't seem like they're that good compared to, he doesn't have a miles Garrett. He doesn't have mm. a TJ Watt. He has Jadavion Clowney and Justin Media bouquet Mat- or something like mm-hmm. that. That's right. You know, he's, he, he's got Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton's wonderful. He's yeah. got, uh, they have Roquan, right? They do. Yeah. They have Roquan Smith. And the, the, it's not a bad collection of talent, but he is working with some guys that you should be able to find pretty much anywhere you go. You can find clownies. Clearly, Clowney was out there with like a, <laughs> what, a month before the season started?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was widely available. You get him wherever you wanted on that.
1: hmm Yeah. So, uh, Mike McDonald, two incredible years in Baltimore. By the way, he took over. For a, in a Ravens defense that was bad in 2021. It was actually below average to bad. And uh, the one year he wasn't in Baltimore, he was the defensive coordinator at Michigan under Harbaugh and had great results there. Now it's Michigan. They're good on defense pretty much every year, but still he does his thing. He did his thing as a linebacker coach in Baltimore. He did his thing as a defensive back coach in Baltimore, helped to develop Patrick Queen, uh, worked on guys like Pernell McPhee, Matt Judon, who would go on to be a very prolific player for the Patriots, CJ Mosley, Zadarius Smith. Um, some of the defensive backs he coached, like Tony Jefferson, remember him, the safety, mm-hmm. uh, Ladarius Webb, Marlon Humphrey, developed under him. Like, like he, uh, he's been part of that Ravens tree for a long time, and pretty much everything Jimmy he's Smith. touched. Yeah, Jimmy Smith, another one. Everything he's touched has been good, pretty much.
0: Yeah, the the, the secondary is another good point with with him did I cut you off there sorry no 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 um, uh,
1: yeah are we having issues right now I can no, switch over to my other browser you' I mean too
0: you're okay right now I, I just want to make sure um that's the thing I like about him too is it's not just the front style it's the secondary knowledge that he brings into play too and that he is uh, going to flip things up from pre to post snap for what you see from a quarterback position so it's he confuses you on the two le- levels Brendan he gets you first at the front and then he gets you back in the secondary and between the two of those he can create utter and complete confusion just you do not know who's coming, which, where, from what. And to uh, add to your point on that, maximizing the talent, he's showing ability to that. Michigan, the thing that impressed me about that is you're right about them having a great defense every year, but he went down there to train that staff in this defense. He went down there to not just be the defensive coordinator, but both train the players and train the coaches how to run this scheme. And then when he left, they that's what that team leaned on this year, was that defense. That's why they won the national title. They were able to shut down Michael Penix. I mean, that's, that's really to me a very impressive thing beyond just what he's done. it will be enough what he's done with the Ravens alone, right? What he's done this year with the Ravens and what the track record with the Ravens—that kind of be enough on its own to do that with Michigan at a different level, and to be able to show how well you can teach your message and get it across on top of just how you good how good you are as a defensive coordinator. Uh, I like and I'm intrigued by McDonald, and I think that he'll be able to bring a build a pretty good staff too, Brennan, because he's got now a couple connections from a couple different places there to, to eventually potentially put that staff together. Right. Uh, let's go to the number three for you on your
1: list. My number three was McDonald. So I I don't have too much to add to everything you just said, but my number three is Mike McDonald as well. Uh, the resume is just, yeah, just the resume is impeccable. Like, like uh, it's hard to subtract anything away from what he's done in Baltimore. The one year he was out of Baltimore, he did great at Michigan. And again, it's not like these are some of the most talented players ever. Like when he was a linebacker coach in Baltimore, he had some good players, but some of the guys he got good stuff out of were like LJ Ford, Kenny Young, Patrick um, uh, uh the finally like 45-year-old Terrell Suggs or however old he was that last year. Like, old. Yeah. So some of the guys he uh, got a great results out of were not even super blue chippers.
0: Yeah. You want to modernize defense, Brendan. You want what's on the cutting edge defensively right now. This is, this is the guy running it. It's not, uh, well, it's the old cover two with uh, a bear over front. It ain't the four three under, but with Vic Fangio cover two principles, this is its own kind of thing. And um, he is much like a guy we'll talk about here soon. I know is going to be on both our list and Ben Johnson is guys that they, they, they are guys that understand how to do different things. They're not just sort of the one trick pony thing and how this, is how I got to go about doing it. They are, they're, they're open to a lot of different ways to get the job done and uh, really love how he appears to be as uh, one of the best teachers. I think that we're going to have on this list, Brendan, that we're going to present. He certainly, I think has that track uh, record for uh, me. My, uh, my number three, I think is going to maybe catch you as a bit of a surprise. I'm gonna be interested to see where you stand on this guy too. He's actually just the last probably four or five days. I'm really starting to kind of warm up to him and you got to give me a chance to explain okay give me a chance to explain brendan Before you before you you give me the eye look before you give me the roll in the eyes okay let me just explain my number three is going to be mike rabel and uh my feeling on this is this brendan is arthur smith going to get a job this offseason ed coaching wise of course not no do you think that there's going to be a better, would you say it's fair to say Arthur Smith at best case, probably going to be offered an offensive coordinator job, maybe three different places?
1: Certainly should be like, if if you guys think that Arthur Smith is a bad offensive coordinator, you really need to go look at the talent he was working with in Tennessee. It was not that great. He had Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback and he made them an elite offense. Like if, if somebody, if somebody doesn't hire him as an offensive coordinator, this offseason, something's wrong.
0: So then would you say, I, and I agree with everything you just said, would you say then then it's a fair assessment to say that of the small, maybe let's say it's four offensive jobs that are offered to him as an offensive coordinator this offseason, that the best job that'll be offered to him with the most available talent is probably Seattle. And I then when you...
1: Probably, yeah. Who else would it be? Like uh, the Bengals job might not be coming open. Uh like the Bengals is the only other offense you could even consider, right?
0: But do the Bengals want to go to a run-based heavy offense from the pass-heavy offense that they're
1: operating in right now? No, no, now? no, definitely not. But I'm just saying in terms of raw talent. Yeah, I
0: agree. The one thing that I think would push you over the top, though I think you would totally agree with me on, is I have in Mike Rabel, the guy that helped me get my job with Atlanta. This guy got me a head coaching job because of the success I had in tandem with him. He goes to Seattle, and I'm looking at those other available offensive coordinator jobs. It almost becomes a no-brainer that Arthur Smith comes to Seattle then with Vrabel, does it not?
1: If that is the package deal, then sign me up for that. I'm pretty excited <laughs> about that. Right? And here's the thing. Arthur Smith was such a disaster in Atlanta, they will never let him be a head coach again. Mm-hmm. So you've got him as long as you want him. There's it, that. It's like um, back in the day under Andy Reid, Philadelphia had, I believe it was an offensive coordinator named Marty Mordenweg, who was really mm-hmm. good. They really liked him but he had already gotten his chance as a head coach and he was so bad, they knew he's never going anywhere. We never have to worry about losing this guy because he's already had his shot and it was a disaster. That's kind of how it could be with Arthur Smith. It's not one of these guys, oh, we'll have him for two years and then he's going to piece out to a head coaching job.
0: Yeah. Oh, you blanked on it. Um, yeah, I, I agree the same way. And I I think that he didn't necessarily get the fairest or shake there in Atlanta, Brendan, because I think if you have an offensive-minded head coach that you don't get the quarterback for. I'm not talking about getting him Mahomes or Burrow, okay? But but getting them like a top-end QB. And I don't think that even the biggest naysayer of Arthur Smith would say that he was given anything close to a top quarterback option during his time there as a head coach.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that there were some other things that he did that didn't really make sense. Um, but he never got the quarterback. He got everything else, kind of. He, he I, I like everything else on that offense, really, but... I mean, the quarterback's kind of the most important thing.
0: It is. If you're not, especially you got an offensive head coach, I'd argue. You know, yeah. maybe if you're the defensive coach, you can get by with something less, but you better get the offensive guy. The guy, and Desmond Ritter is not going to get the job done for any offensive-minded head coach. Yeah. Uh, can much. you but give me ar- one
1: minute to switch browsers real quick?
0: Yeah, yeah, go for it. Let me get, uh, I know we got a, a couple donations here. Let me... Uh, Don Mata, thank you for becoming a new member of the channel. I think that's for uh, Brendan's side of it. So, uh, thank you for uh, becoming a member of the channel over on Brendan's side. Very kind of you for that. Don Mata joining your crew, I think, there, Brendan. Oh,
1: thank you, Don Mata. Welcome aboard.
0: Uh, Taker Ticks 10, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, uh, didn't Carol's son join the UW staff offensive coordinator?
1: Yeah, he Don. did. It mm-hmm.
0: would be interesting to see what kind of offensive coordinator a, a, a Carroll's son will be as, you know, knowing Carroll's kind of background with the offense and mm-hmm. his view of the offense of it. Um, but uh imagine you're going to get a lot, of, lot more of Coach Carroll also in the building down there in the UW facilities because mm-hmm. I don't think Carroll's going to go get a job this offseason.
1: You buying that? Doesn't seem like it's there. Like mm-hmm. somehow, some way, it, it, it seems like the Chargers might get Harbaugh, which blows my mind. If I'm Harbaugh, I would only pick up the phone to laugh at them.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't get that fit either myself, especially with him. Not necessarily getting player club control, like as we're mm-hmm. hearing that that's not as much going to be a what you have to get with him, and that he would want to go there to that place seems just kind of strange to me.
1: But yeah, and, and to be clear, I would pick up the phone to laugh at them because in this scenario, I'm Jim Harbaugh, and Jim Harbaugh's that kind of guy. I yeah. wouldn't laugh at them because I'm a nice guy, but Harbaugh is not yeah
0: <laughs> but uh yeah offensive coordinator so uh, we'll see if his son's got some what kind of offense his son runs and where he how he pushes that thing forward here for this team that it's kind of going from some of kind of air raid concepts to whatever they're going to go to now i don't know what arizona's runs for an offense i don't know what the background there is but
1: they're pretty pass heavy they, 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 they what was that ca- quarterback's name fafita he would have these games where he just had like 500 passing yards they, they go crazy oh. down there
0: Well, Carol's gone, his son's gone the opposite way. And sometimes how it goes, man, they go the the complete opposite of the dad on the approach. So it's kind of cool to see, though. And uh, also, really cool that I think you'll see some Carol being in the UW building can't do nothing but help the um, UW program if he's in there in any way, shape, or form. Right. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you for that, Garth. It's great to see you tonight, brother. Says killer bees love the discussion and want you both to know I've not given up on a jacuzzi collaboration between you two. <laughs> you can you'll be left waiting on that one, brother. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's not gonna happen anytime soon.
0: That's that's we're, we're not going that No, no, it's on that one, guard. Thank you though for the donation, brother. Um, Codadad, thank you for the ten dollar uh, Canadian. Said, I heard different takes on Schneid saying he's going to oversee assistant coaching selections. It sounded like he wanted to assemble the coaching staff himself. What head coach would go for that?
1: I find it very hard to believe that he actually means he's going to build the entire staff personally. Like, uh, you're right. No head coach would want to be a part of a situation like that. that. That's awful.
0: Would it not be fair to say that what he probably was meaning by when he said that? Because they're kind of taking it off a soundbite that was off of a question asked. What I think what he's meaning and he's saying that is if I'm a general manager and I have a coach that has assistant coordinators, I can go to that coach and say, you need to let this assistant coordinator go. He's not doing the job. That's something that does happen by general managers throughout the league. It's, It's not unusual to see. Do you, is that Would you think that's a fair way of maybe what he meant by that, Brendan? Not that he's hiring him, but that if it comes down to two years down the line and there's a failing defensive part, he goes to the coach and goes, look, I know you love this guy. You got loyalty to this guy. I'm telling you right now, though, that you got to let him go. It ain't working.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe he's, you know, the guy who ultimately makes the final decision, but that doesn't mean he won't have the utmost respect for the wishes of whoever gets hired. Like, if you get – mike mcdonald and he wants anthony weaver as his defensive coordinator i'm sure you do everything you can to make that happen why wouldn't you
0: yeah i agree i don't think that there's i, I don't think he's going to do that at all i I know how people could take that take away from what schneider said and kind of pull it that way coded ad but i i and it's good to hear. Brendan feels the same way i just think it's just it's it's what he was talking about was more of that i have the oversight to say to him if he needs to do this but he was more speaking about that in the general terms not in the I think active, I'm gonna be out there assembling this staff staff like I'm Nick Fury and I'm trying to put the Avengers together. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think he's doing that. Correct. But uh thank you, Codadad. I appreciate you for the donation. Garth Knight, Taker 610, Tom Mata, very kind of you guys. Uh one more here with uh John M429. Thank you for the five dollar donation. It says Vrabel became high on my list after I saw the press conference before the Jags game because losing effing sucks. Uh, John referencing uh, a press conference with Vrabel, uh, a fiery press conference with Vrabel at the end of the season where he was asked, what did the reporter ask him? How did he get to that answer?
1: Um, Oh man, what was it? I don't remember.
0: It was, it was something along the lines that just, you know, how does it, you know, where are you at right now? How do you feel right now or something? And something stupid, a a dumb media member would ask that's like, give it a little more thought reporter, you know, give give the question a little bit more (laughs) more than just like, hmm. <laughs> so kind of just uh, um, whatever pops in your head
1: yeah I mean Vrabel's okay but I'm not super into it unless you're also getting Arthur Smith in 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 the package if not for that I mean nothing against Vrabel he's got a nice little resume but I kind of want somebody I, I want to break away from the Pete Carroll stuff as much as humanly possible I don't want mm-hmm. another kind of you know Emotional leader, you know, cheerleader, get everybody pumped up type coach. I, I want somebody who's a little more of a, a little more nerdy, a little more of an X's and O's guy, a little bit more like a Mike McDonald. And, mm-hmm. and um, by the way, fun fact: uh, Mike Vrabel had one year as a defensive coordinator in the NFL, and he it was the worst defense in the league that year. <laughs> how, how did that happen? How do you get promoted? do the worst job of anybody in the country and then get another promotion. What, what is this politics? Like how did that happen?
0: You're a leader of men, you're a leader of men. Yeah. Leader <laughs> of
1: men to the 32nd ranked off defense in the NFL.
0: I, I think he had, um, Oh, I, I thought he had something going on there, but, uh, yeah, no, he was, uh, he definitely didn't have, have the greatest of years to earn necessarily that head coaching job there. Um, what was it with Houston? I don't think, I yeah. think too, though, at, at the time that Houston in 2017 didn't have exactly, I think the, I could be wrong on this, but I forget where their defense was at. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they had, they had Watt there at that time, right? They had Clowney yeah. at that time. Yeah, so. Watt,
1: Clowney. Yeah, yeah just want to, he, he did great work as a linebacker coach. He did great work at Ohio State, but that one, he got promoted to D.C. and it was awful, and everyone was just like, all right, let's just uh, keep this guy on the track. Let's not modify the track at all. But, yeah. Yeah, the, the Arthur Smith thing puts it over the edge to me. By the way, guys. People are talking about, oh, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was a bust for the first couple of years of his career. Derrick Henry looked like another Trent Richardson for a couple of years. And then that third year he started to get going. And it wasn't until Arthur Smith became the offensive coordinator that Derrick Henry became all capital letters Derrick Henry. So you got to give him some credit for that, too, I think. Yeah,
0: I, I I think that it's your you bring up valid points about the fact you're getting a little bit more of the old school coach and and the guy that's, you know, not going to be as much of the pushing the offensive envelope, which, you know, with our list and I think where we're gonna stand on this, that's really something that stands out to what we were wanting to do here. We've got some other ways we'll go, but that's something that I think is on both of our lists as a high priority. And I don't think Ray Bull and Arthur Smith even coming in there would bring that. I think they would be damn effective and I think that I, I I do feel like with Rabel, I have a little bit of a, I know what I'm getting factor here. I know what I am. And I do look at the Tennessee job and feel like he did maximize everything out there. Tannehill this last year, I think had the number one highest cap hit in all of the NFL uh, in what he cost. True value to the cap of the Titans this year. Last year, I believe it was number two. He's had an offensive line that slowly aged. Arthur Smith's moved on. Uh, the front office has made some weird moves in not really reinvigorating that offensive line in the proper way that they needed it to do so to keep that running game going where it needed to be. They made some weird, strange picks in the secondary. They traded out A.J. Brown for a, a net bad result on the other side of this. None of these things have to do with Mike Vrabel. None of these things I think Mike Vrabel wanted to see really go down in that way necessarily. And so I I see what he's brought as a track record. I see he will probably bring in an Arthur Smith with him. And I do look at what he does defensively, whereas, yes, offensively, he's maybe not setting the world on fire in his schemes and whatnot. I will say offensively running the ball, Arthur Smith is as creative as you will find. Like the way he runs it, he's every bit right there with Shanahan and his willingness to attack in every way, shape, and form when it comes to the running game. But defensively is where you do get from Vrabel a willingness to be updated and run things that are a little bit more in the forefront. And I'll tell you this much, he gets those guys to play hard. There's a the, the biggest thing that we don't talk about, Brendan, that I think that does have to sometimes factor in our mind and that I, I'm, I I forget about this too, is that the getting through to these young players, the guy that can get through versus so many of these other coaches that we see across the landscape that are having a hard time resonating with this crop of generation of player and to find a guy that's been able to do that and maybe perhaps able to do that specifically because of his track record, having playing in the sport and and knows what will fly and what won't fly and what he can push down on. I feel like he's got a little bit of that right balance to him at the end of the day, where this makes a lot of sense. And I think you're getting Arthur Smith with him, Brendan. I think it is a combination deal. Cause like we walked, that's why I wanted to walk you at that at the front of this. Cause I knew that that would weigh heavily in your mind on this. And I think I can sell it to you on it. If you break it down that, that way of like, well, he's got the Raiders. He's got, um, Who else would be a a team? Obviously not Atlanta, (laughs) but you know a couple of offensive coordinator jobs out there, and then you've got this one with all the talent he has. With uh, being a a running head coach who wants to run the football, and he's got his two tackles taken care of, and he's got his two backs ready to go, and he's got you know Schneider and and uh, Vrabel telling him we're gonna get you some interior offensive line now too. So we'll get that all straight and forward. I mean, like it becomes to me just where he'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll be frothing at the mouth, I think, at that point to come to Seattle.
1: Yeah, no, I'm for it. I made a whole video a few days ago about the idea of a Mike Vrabel Arthur Smith package and how I found it to be very appealing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea. But if you're just talking about Vrabel in isolation, there's only so excited I can be about it.
0: I get it. I get it. And the points you raised, I think, are complete valid points, especially when we consider um, at least one of the other guys we're going to be looking at here on this upcoming list, which I think our list, might, our list might go right together here on these final two. We'll see where it stands. Let's get to your number two on the list for Brendan. Yeah,
1: I okay. I went with Ben Johnson, the classic, everybody's favorite. Everybody's excited about this guy. Like, this this is the guy that would make just about everybody in this fan base happy. He's uh, 38 years old, two years as a very successful offensive coordinator in Detroit under Dan Campbell, taking over for an offense that was not that good before he got there, by the way. No, it was not. Uh, eighth in EPA this year, sixth in EPA the previous year, fifth in points per game, both years, year before that, he was a passing game coordinator and tight end coach for, uh, TJ Hawkinson, uh, year before, uh, tight end coach for TJ Hawkinson. So he was part of the TJ Hawkinson development. Now I'm not going to sit here and act like he made TJ Hawkinson a great player because Mm TJ Hawkinson was a top 10 pick, very talented player, but, um, he, uh, he did some good work there. He was a assistant wide receiver coach at Miami when they had the uh, immortal Jarvis Landry, Kenny Stills, and Devontae Parker combo going. Great times mm-hmm. there in Miami. Oh, yeah. Um, also <laughs> kind of helped kind of sort of dug Ryan Tannehill's career out of the uh, dumpster and put it in a little bit of a better place before he went to Tennessee and truly broke out. Um, so I, I, he did okay work with Tannehill as a quarterback coach. I'm not going to go crazy about it, but it was all right. And um yeah, it's not a very long resume admittedly, right? I mean, we kind of just I kind of just went over the whole thing. He spent the last 3 years in Detroit, he spent the previous what, 5-6 years in Miami. Seven. Yeah, seven seven years in Miami and that that's about it. But this work he's done in Detroit is good and sometimes when you want to get the best possible coaching talent, you got to take a chance on them when they're young and inexperienced because by the time they're experienced someone already took the chance on them and you're never going to get them ever. At that point, it's over.
0: Agreed. Um, uh, well stated. I think that it's, it's, if you're going to say Brendan, that there is a, who, you know, if, if you have a Seahawks fan that came up to you and said, Brendan, give me the Sean McVay of this off season available as a coaching candidate. Who's the closest Sean McVay that exists out there. Would you point to a Ben Johnson as that guy?
1: He, um, certainly mimics it the most. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Sean McVay was part of some really impressive uh, coaching crews that I don't think Ben Johnson has been in. Like, you know, McVay was there with uh, LaFleur. McVay was there with um, Shanahan. Shanahan. And Ben Johnson doesn't have that, but it's still pretty dang good what he was able to accomplish these last two years in Detroit. And sometimes that just needs to be enough. And I, I know it's easy for us to say as fans, not so easy for somebody like John Schneider who might live or die by this hire. But most of these hires, you're taking some kind of risk here. Unless you get somebody like Vrabel or Harbaugh, there is no like uh, just gun it in their safe option.
0: I agree. I I've, I've kind of labeled it. I think Ben Johnson's the biggest boomer bust candidate. You know, you're not going for the high floor here. You're going for the, the wild potential that you get with this guy. And you talk about that seven years in Miami three different offensive coordinators through that time. Coached three different positions through that time. Tight end, wide receivers, quarterbacks. Um, This is a guy that trained under Mike Sherman, one of the forerunners, forefathers of the of the true West Coast offense. He then learned underneath kind of then one of the fathers. It was like going from one of the godfathers to one of the fathers in Bill Lazar, who helped kind of continue him on. He's got, to me, you, you've got elements of his offensive system, Brennan, that have both been instructed by a Chip Kelly all the way to a Mike Martz in, in the influences that are at play. He is, he is a guy that is kind of, you know, a mad chemist in the lab and coming up with, he's coming up with, he is not a one system guy. That's just, this is my system. This is how I run it. He's going to take from all everywhere he can possibly take from to make this at its best, whatever it sort of takes, so to speak. I mean, even last year, Brendan coming off that season, you talked about which just to, again, reiterate the numbers that you posted, which I think are very important with Ben Johnson, 2021 under the old offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, they were 22nd in yards, 25th in points, 29th in offensive DVOA. The very next year, he takes him to 9th in DVOA, in yards, 5th in points. Then that offseason goes and has a three-day summit with Sean McVay. A melding of the minds together between these two guys. How can I even get better? I mean, the the ego that usually exists in the sport, and I don't need Sean McVeigh. Look, Look where I'm at. Look where I'm at. But then goes back and says, no, like, there's more to learn. Let me get more. Let me peel some more out of him. How did better best get more out of Jared Goff here? What did you do in using that? And he's done different stuff with Jared than what Sean did. He doesn't rigid Jared up. He's given Jared so much more control and expanded him as a quarterback than what McVeigh did. And so I, I look at what he's done in all of his systems and understanding he's willing to do so much stuff um, when it comes to the ground game. I don't know if there's another offensive coach that pulls more guys across the formation post-snap as in the run game, Brendan. I mean, he will just pull the whole right side of the line and send it all left back across his left guard and his left tackle, it feels like, sometimes watching some of these cut-ups. But he is, uh, he's awesome. He's, he's offensive passing attack is on the back of option routes, which I love. I mean, especially when you're playing zone, read the defender's leverage turn off the leverage. Quarterback, receiver, read the same leverage. It's not complicated. And when you get the soft zone-based defenses, Brendan, you know those types, right? Those cover three type defenses that love to sit back in those deep zones. When I'm operating off leverage looks, it becomes impossible for them to cover, right? I run up at Bobby. I cut this way if he's out here. If he's out here, I cut that way. Simple and easy. And that's why it's so simple and easy to attack that style of defense. But uh, I love Ben Johnson. I think he's a bright, bold candidate. And he'd be a big swing, but you said at the top of this we're not married to any of these guys. And why not try to take the, the swing that can put it up into the second deck? Hell, maybe and clear the whole stadium.
1: Yeah. I'm 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 a fan of this one. If we got this one, it would be the most exciting. There is risk involved, but like I say, there's very little we can do right now that isn't risky. There's very little we can do that is going to just guarantee success.
0: Amen. There there is no certain move. There is no certainty here in this in this territory. Well, since we uh, both had the very same number two, it makes me wonder if we might just both have the same number one. Brendan, who is your number one coaching candidate for the Seattle Seahawks in this future?
1: Well, I want to be clear. I don't know if I see this one happening. I don't know if this one's in the cards, but we got to dream big while we have room to dream, right? Mm-hmm. Because in about a month, we're going to have a coach and the dreams will be dead. We'll just have reality, right? that's right like, so we got a dream big so i did list number one jim harbaugh i don't know how number one could be anybody else this guy is not only is he relatively speaking a sure thing because he's already been ridiculously successful in the nfl as a head coach but he's also proven to have a very high ceiling this isn't some safe not sexy hire like like Mike McCarthy, like, let's say McCarthy got fired and we hired McCarthy. It would have been sold as like, yeah, it's not sexy, but it's safe. He would have guaranteed us the playoffs pretty much every year. He would have guaranteed us regular season success. That's not the case with Harbaugh. Harbaugh guarantees you a little more than that. I think he uh, really could not have done much better in Frisco. Couldn't have done much better at Michigan. Couple of not so great years in Michigan, I guess. But every year he had was better than even Brady Hoke at his best, right? Brady Hoke didn't have years like that. No, um, Stanford couldn't have done much better than he did. Uh. Even as the Oakland Raiders quarterback coach couldn't have done much better than he did. So like this guy's resume is pretty much impeccable. I know people are like, oh, you didn't win the Super Bowl. You, you know what? I, I he had Colin Kaepernick and uh, Alex Smith as his quarterbacks. I, yeah. I wouldn't win the Super Bowl either with those quarterbacks. Yeah. No. So, tell- yeah. Sign me up.
0: Yeah, and it's it's my number one here as well for all of the reasons that uh, Brennan just said. You get certainty and you get the upside, which there's no other coach that provides this of any of the candidates. So then how can it not be the number one priority? And if you want to talk about bringing a guy who is not going to get shy about being cast in the great big shadow that Coach Carroll is going to cast over the top of the next head coach, this would be that type of guy who's got no... He's not going to shy away. He's going to step boldly to the forefront here and and take this uh, challenge on 100%. He has got one last coaching chapter in his book that he wants to write, and that's winning a championship. He will be here to win. It's about getting to championships. It's not consistent. money. I'm going to get this team to a championship. And he will make it happen, I think, or at least he'll get very close to doing it if he don't do it. And I have a lot of confidence in that fact with Jim Harbaugh. Is he a prickly guy? Sure. Is he maybe going to grind people out in a couple of years? Yeah, probably. But that's okay if it comes with the greatest of success. And as you said, in San Francisco, it's very hard to hold a guy like that responsible for not getting them a Super Bowl number one. You talk about having Kaepernick a quarterback. Number two, he happened to also go against one of the legendary teams we've had in NFL history during that three-year run there that they're, they're having to go through at the same time being us. That wasn't exactly mm-hmm. helping him. Mm-hmm. The other thing you had to consider about Harbaugh is how many that did that team got old quick. Justin Smith, Navarro Bowman with the catastrophic knee injury in the conference championship game. Patrick Willis retiring early due to the the, the dodgy toe stuff that he had going on. You know, mm-hmm. them losing their they lost some secondary guys. It it got It kind of got plucked really quick. Remember they had that right tackle they had taken the first round, who was really good, and then he just suddenly retired and was kind of like, I'm out at this point. Uh,
1: Oh, God.
0: Anthony Johnson, something Johnson. Johnson, Maybe. I I remember
1: they had the Chris Borland guy, the linebacker, who was like rookie of the year, and then he retired after one year. Yeah. I remember that. I don't remember the right tackle who retired quickly.
0: I don't remember his name he was, he was good. And they, it was a real shocker when he went, when he, when he went out and then he tried to come back like a year later and unretire. Um, but he was good for them. And it was, it was, it created a hole for them on their offense. And people kind of did figure out Kaepernick too, as you know, they started to get more film on him and, and his limitations to your point. But, uh, to me, Harbaugh is your slam dunk here. This is the no doubter. This is the one that, you know. He just, he takes this team and instantly maximizes this talent to the utmost. His defense, his defensive scheme will run Mike McDonald's essential defensive scheme here. So it's an updated, modernized yeah. defense. You get the McDonald. Hell, you might get Wink Marndale, the guy that taught, uh, for all we know, um, M- McDonald in this defense. Not that Wink's great at this point. I'm just illustrating that you're going to get a fun defense to play with. Now, offensively, it's going to be a little bit more meat and potatoes, but he pulls that mean potatoes off. His running game will hit you from all angles. He's going to be physical. He's going to win at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, which has been, these are things that are direly needed discipline. All these things are direly needed on this team in recent years, I think. And so he really brings these biggest weaknesses, maybe even to a place of being a strength and almost fairly immediately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we get Harbaugh, I would anticipate him being out of here within five years because that's just the way it goes when Mm -hmm. he has to deal with a GM. But it would be an incredible five years. And it's like uh, it's like dating Derek Jeter. You know, you're not going to be a long-term. It's not going to be a long-term relationship. He's going to move on. But it's going to be a lot of fun while you're there.
0: Or right, a teenager look, look. dating Leonardo. It's like second yeah. you're turning 20, it's over with.
1: Yeah, he's got the chip in the hand like in uh, Logan's Run. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, you got another 10 days. 20 years old. Yeah. any time for me at that one.
1: Yeah, but what's wrong with that? Let's let's have a good five years and then go get another coach in five years. Uh, like it's it's uh um don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. And and let me be clear. I don't think Harbaugh's happening. He would want GM power in all likelihood. We wouldn't give that to him. I don't think John would work well with him anyway. I I, I think that um, that kind of personality those guys would butt heads a little bit. But if we're talking about you know the dream. Give me Jim Harbaugh and let's go win some titles.
0: Amen. I think that's what you said about John's true. And John mentions about wanting to keep a positive uh, environment here, positive culture. Of course, with John, I mean, it's maybe sometimes positive, sometimes it's negative, you know? So like you're going to get a bit of both, but uh, yeah, the likelihood is maybe not as much of it having happened. But if the pursuit here is to just find the best candidate for the job and to not take that kind of thing into account, which... You know, we're not the guys having to work with them day to day like John Wood, right? Like, yeah, you guys can say it. I'm the guy's who got to go in there every day to the office and right? So I like you know I, yeah, yeah, how fast how's, how's the you know, how's the view Brendan and Brandon from the chief seats, right? Like yeah. so I get that. i i can I can sympathize with that that standpoint on it, but he there is not just another candidate to me that's close to him um in what he brings. Uh, ben Johnson maybe with the boom if he hits it, but the bust is just as possible. And uh, so that really does draw me to Jim.
1: Yeah. And is it possible? Is it possible that he's chilled out a little bit after that decade he spent at Michigan? He's an older guy now. Is it possible that he's not the guy who would like take somebody's blood and wipe it all over his face when he's giving his pregame talk? Like maybe, you know, you got to settle down a little bit as you get older, right?
0: I've wondered this as well, Brendan, because the whole thing about burning people out, you know, did he burn people out at Stanford? Uh, Has he burned people out at Michigan? I mean, the coaching staff—he didn't burn out. They those—they loved him. He had his. Remember that after the win this year at Ohio State, he had the coach that was filling in for him. Like, Into, "This is for you, mm-hmm. Jam. You know, like that's not a for a guy that's supposed to be bearing people out. I've I've never heard any of his coaches talk really badly about him. His former players seem to, you know, revere and respect him. Um, so that that whole, I think, to your point, this burned out thing, or that he's absolutely a guy that's just nothing but just a bunch of, you know. Uh, just a hard ass kind of I, I don't know if that's as much a fair assessment of where he is it does seem like I've heard him I've heard a little bit of him doing the uh, he's grown a little bit he softened a little bit with age and we all do that at times that happens to everybody a little bit with age you know you lose a little bit of your that testosterone yeah. goes down a little bit you know
1: yeah yeah I can get behind that I, I it's just he's 60 now he's like one of he's by far the oldest candidate I looked at so far like, yeah how, how can you be still that amped up at 60 years old that's hard man
0: it's hard. It's hard to be that angry that long. You, you know, you yeah. eventually wear out. You're like, ah, oh, especially when you got the when you get started getting the pelts. I got the national title. I've been in the Super Bowl. I'm, oh yeah. You know, he knows what he can do now. There's less of that, you know, what can I pull off? What can't I?
1: Yeah, and, and maybe we could get a little love from the NFL setting up another brother Super Bowl in a year or two. I, you know,
0: that's what I'm saying. Let's take advantage of the script. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Let's get ahead of the script, Brendan. Let's not be the script. Let's get ahead of the script. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what I'm really truly advocating for here. Right. Uh Corey Olson, thank you for the five dollar donation. I appreciate you for that. Corey says, "Why did B. John Robinson only have four touchdowns? That guy's an animal." Explain the reasoning between not going hard with your best player. Arthur Smith was
1: trash. I'd be trash too if my quarterback was Desmond Ritter.
0: Yeah, as um as we saw this year, I mean, I I think Corey, there's there's certainly a fair assessment to be said in saying that you should have utilized Bijan Robinson way more than you did, Arthur totally fair. You're going to draft a, a running back in the top 10 of a draft, then lean on the guy and lean on the guy from day one. I, I wouldn't pick anything away from that. Corey in any way, shape or form. But to Brendan's point on this is, as we've seen in time, you know, if you have a quarterback that can convert the third downs, that can keep the chains moving, much less provide offensive success. And, and you have a, a team that's behind the eight ball and, and behind the games. A lot of times, now you're not able to lean as much on the rushing attack. And I think that those were two elements that came into play, especially this year for that Atlanta Falcon team, that prevented them as much from leaning back in on that running of the football. Um, There's a fairness to say, again, that he should have gotten more in Bijan. I expected way more out of him this year in that attack. But it does make it hard, those two elements, when you don't have consistent drives and your defense can't get off the field because it's not particularly good. And you know I think uh, the, the overall track record with Arthur is that he will do a good job if you give him good basic parts to work with.
1: And let him focus on one thing. Let him focus on the offense. He was he's right. a bad head coach. Oh well, there are a lot of great coordinators who are bad head coaches. It's
0: very true. There's a lot of guys who just need to stay in that lane and not leave it. And that's where they'll be they could be the best in the sport at that, but you put them in a head coach and they're they're quickly overmatched. And uh I have a I agree with Brendan on this one. I think Corey, it's a little bit of that going on there with um Arthur. I think you give him this offensive talent he will draw this offense into probably at the very least a top 10 state uh, immediately, if not more so. He'll certainly make the ground game a whole hell of a lot more effective than it's been.
1: Yeah, the Titans offense in 2020 was fourth in points and second in EPA with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Crazy. That was what? They had A.J. Brown and what was the name of the bust? Corey Davis at wide receiver. Mm -hmm.
0: That's right. Yeah,
1: like Corey Davis was good, I guess. Uh, Johnu Smith was the tight end, I think. That's he, right. He was good, but remember, Arthur Smith developed Jonu Smith. He was nothing, and he was the tight end coach. And Jonu Smith developed under him by and large. So that was not great talent in Tennessee. They had a better offensive line than we do, granted. Mm-hmm. But Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown and, and, and like it's really not that great. Like we we've got our receivers are much better than the receivers they had in Tennessee at that point.
0: I agree. Yeah, I think so. I think you very well could be giving him his most talented team he's had ever as a coordinator when Arthur comes in here. One of the reasons I think it'll be so attractive to him. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you, Corey. Uh, Garth, thank you for another $5 donation. Very kind of you, Garth. Says, wacky question here. Why hire a great offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator as head coach? Hire them as OC or DC and pay them head coach money?
1: Mm-hmm. That's actually a good question. That's what Jerry Jones has done with Dan Quinn kind of. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it works, but there's no accounting for that coordinator going, you know what? I wanted my chance as a head coach, like yeah. I'll take the same amount of money or even a little less money for my chance to be a head coach. Because if I crack in as a head coach and I'm actually good, then I make generational wealth.
0: Yeah. On top of, I think, don't you, there's a bit of this on your, your viewpoint in historical terms. It's like, if you want to go and be a great, coach in this league it's hard to be remembered as the great coordinator out there it's you, you want to go get your name put kind of on the yeah. books you got to go do it by being a head coach mm-hmm. and so they're always it's just a natural progression that I think you eventually even if you're paying for the high-end guy Garth that guy's going to want to have that pull to like you mentioned with Dan Quinn it's proven with them. you know he's kind of flirted the past couple off seasons with still leaving despite the fact you know Jerry's paying him very well and would love to have him you know remain there so um I, uh, I I think it'd be great in theory to pull that off, Garth, if you could. I think it's harder, though, to pull that off because that guy, if he's if there's a guy, because what you're kind of saying, Garth, is you could go get a head coaching job somewhere this offensive coordinator, but instead come here, be an offensive coordinator for us, and we'll pay you as much, if not more, than what you've you gotten as being a head coach. And uh, I just don't know if there's a lot of those guys out there that would really be willing to do that. Is, even this offseason, what jumps out to me, there's not a, that many viable candidates on a yearly basis. You are yeah. kind of... Really pulling through some of the lesser at times stock out there,
1: yeah. And also, remember, teams are capable of blocking interviews if you're trying to interview them for a lateral move,
0: right? Like, right.
1: um, uh, we're seeing that right now with the Viro in uh, Carolina. Or, uh, by the way, I looked it up, there are literally five different pronunciations on the internet that <laughs> swear they are the right pronunciation for a gyro, a viro, which I, I believe that's actually correct, that's what he said it was. But, uh, who who the hell knows?
0: A gyro and viro. God, like, yeah. I, that, that's a hard one to get out.
1: Yeah, but uh, Carolina's blocking interviews with him for defensive coordinator because you can do that if it's lateral. So if you want mm-hmm. him, you have to get him as a head coach. I assume that if somebody tried to interview Mike McDonald as a defensive coordinator, Baltimore would block it.
0: Right. That's something that's been raised to me by a few people on my channel in recent days doing live streams, Brendan, is l- let's – take Ben Johnson and we'll, we'll hire this guy as a head coach and then we'll just sign Ben Johnson over here as the offensive coordinator, or we'll take Dave Canales and bring him in as the offensive coordinator. And I just keep the teams. won't They're under contract. You can't do that. A guy can be under contract as an offensive coordinator, and become a head coach, but he can't be under contract as an offensive coordinator, go be another offensive coordinator, in another place. Teams are not going to let a guy go. Cause they're a good one. If they're going somewhere else, they're a good one. They don't want to let a good coach go for nothing and no reason, you know? So, um, it's good theory, Garth. It totally is, but yeah, unfortunately just in practice doesn't, doesn't tend to play out that way. Right. Garth. Thank you for another $5 donation. I appreciate you for all your uh, support. Harbaugh also brought in Rick flair to hype up the Niners before the playoff game. So he's not all that bad. That is pretty (laughs) cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He does seem like the kind of coach who knows how to do that kind of stuff. Knows how to really tap in on that, that level.
0: Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. He's, he's a guy that that's part of getting his guys, you watch it, play hard and getting them to buy in. And I think that this is going to be become more of a bigger and bigger thing that NFL teams are struggling with, Brendan, as the newer generation comes along, as the older generations go out, is how do we get these guys to buy in? Uh, we saw it in our team this year, all across the board. We saw it all all on the field, Brendan, and, and times business decisions being made, but we also saw it in the lack of leadership. It's both of those things, you know, how do you get the full buy-in across the board in that way? Um, And he seems to be able to do it, but uh, that's a, that's a cool note, uh, Garth, that he got Ric Flair in there. And that's a hell of a move by Harbaugh to get a team hyped up for a playoff game. Yeah. So uh, we've looked at our uh, top five and Garth, thank you again for all your donations. We've looked at the uh, top five here on this list for us. And uh, I I think there's a good little opening five list we're going to go through these guys too far as a deep dive, Brendan, but do you have a couple of other guys here on your list that maybe um, aren't being talked about as much that you think should maybe be given a little bit more heat that, that they're just kind of being taken mm-hmm. as just kind of an yeah. Ulster ran or not even considered yeah. maybe.
1: Well, um, I'll say this because of what I was talking about earlier about how you can't really know how these guys are going to be as leaders of men until they actually get the job. And if you're in the interview with them, maybe you can get some kind of inclination. So I'm, I'm looking at Ben Johnson, who we already talked about, Dave Canales, who we already talked about, and another guy would be Bobby Slowick of Houston. Maybe all three of those guys are kind of the same thing. They're great offensive minds, but but who knows if they can lead men? And maybe if you're making a decision between those three guys, let's say for a second, Schneider is making a decision between those three guys. You you probably wouldn't make that decision based off who had better offensive numbers as a coordinator. You're probably making that decision off of, well, all three are good, so let me try to get a feel for who would be the best leader. And that's more abstract. That's something you're going to try to infer from the interview. So I don't want to dismiss the likes of a Bobby Slowick in this conversation, a guy who has had a pretty good amount of success early in his career, a guy who is very young, a guy who hasn't done a ton in terms of length of his resume, kind of like Ben Johnson, kind of like Canales. And I want to be open to the fact that one of those guys might be better than Ben Johnson just because of that leadership angle. It's, it's just really hard for us to know. So I don't want a guy like Bobby Slowick to just be completely dismissed here.
0: How do you ascertain in interviewing a guy the leadership aspect of things?
1: I mean, that, that's that's the hard part. I don't know. I've never been in one of these head coaching interviews before. That's the thing, yeah. right? But you're trying to infer it based off little things that you can pick up, how they talk to you, how they engage with you. It's like, you know, I've been in job interviews for things that have nothing to do with football before, of course.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, I, I know that these recruiters are looking for certain attributes that might not be immediately evident on a resume. That's why they invite you in in the first place, right? They want right. to look at you. They want to see what kind of person you are face-to-face so I, I don't want to dismiss somebody like a bobby slowick who is another one of these young hot shot offensive guru types he doesn't have the results of ben johnson but what if the results are good enough and then they go you know what we got better vibes off of this guy so yeah. i don't want to dismiss that
0: I've been referencing with um, Slowick and Canales. I think we talked about this a sec- earlier on that they're they're coaches that are the the equivalent of like uh, I know we were thinking about Cam Ward coming this draft. So like Cam Ward, you give him the third round, and but if he goes back to school, he probably is able to come back and maybe even push into the top of the first round if he has a really good year, depending on the program that he goes to. And that's a little bit of like what I look at with Sloak or Dave Canales, where I think that they're a year behind Ben Johnson, where Ben's got the two years as coordinating the two years of great success where he's really shown it's not a one off or a this year just kind of everything, you know, went in the right direction as far as everything synced up and it won't next year. But that you could be getting or trying to get out ahead of these guys and going, hey, let's if they're going to be a matter of a year down the line, we can anticipate this. Then let's jump on it now. And Slowick is that kind of guy with the job he's done with Houston. That's not a stacked Houston offense. And Stroud, to both of our eyes, I think we thought was going to need a year. We even thought I think it was going to be best to give him a year on the bench. Um, yet he's got him going out there playing like a top five quarterback year one. And that's that is incredible work.
1: Right. Um, I don't hate the idea of a Viro outside of the fact that he is a defensive guy, which we're trying to kind of get away from, but I think his resume is actually really good. He was part of, he was uh, under uh, McVeigh in LA for several years. He was under uh, Raheem Morris. He was part of that tree as well. I don't hate the idea of a Viro if we do go defensive, he's not Mm -hmm. as good as McDonald, but I think he did great work that one year in Denver and he did some really good stuff in LA before then. So. Uh, by the way, also another Harbaugh tree guy. Actually, he was under Harbaugh in San Fran for a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's a, it always stands out when you get a guy of not only the job they do coming into the place, but then how the place is when they leave and what they then do with the same talent. And you look at Denver with uh, a Viro. <laughs> uh, and what he was able to do last year with that Denver defense, last couple years there with that Denver defense even when the offense was doing the three and outs and exhausting that crew. And then look at what happened with Sean Payton this year and the 70-point burger that defense gave up against Miami, which you know, Evero's defenses never would have come close to giving something up like that. It makes you appreciate the job he did that much more, and uh, I do like. I he's he's a guy that, like you said, I'm a lean offensive, but I do have a little bit of a strange kind of affinity for what you you see in Aviro uh, and the job he did, and you know he would take you over to the full Vic Fangio defense. He's one of the few guys like Staley did with the Rams, or uh, Sean DeSai did that with that one year with the Bears, uh, in that actually able to make the scheme work and make it run well instead of just running it, right? Mm-hmm. Which is sometimes what a, a little bit of what we get. Can you um? Please talk me through why Raheem Morris makes any sense.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit of a tougher one. His resume is not terrible, but he's already got his chance as a head coach, and he kind of flunked out, right? It was bad, really bad, like mm-hmm. Arthur Smith bad pretty much. Mm-hmm. Maybe worse, honestly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> He has had a decent amount of success in L.A., he did do some things pretty well in Atlanta. I guess it's uh, kind of like a Mike, a Mike McCarthy hire. It's like safe. You're going to make the playoffs probably with him. You're going to get better on defense with him. You're, you, you, he's, he wore a lot of different hats in Atlanta. He was a wide receiver coach, pass game coordinator, which is really weird for a defensive guy. You don't see that that often. Um, he, he, worked, he did some great work with defensive backs in Tampa Bay, that was the Rondé Barber, uh, Brian Kelly, Tanard Jackson, Jermaine Phillips group. He helped develop to Talib. It's it's not a bad resume at all, but like even in LA, it's not like they were winning because of their defense. If anything, he took over the number one defense in the league by far under Brandon Staley, and made it a decent unit. It, it's not like he improved on it. It was just kind of good. So well, I mean, I I've been I don't know. T- it's boring. It's kind of boring, ain't it? Well,
0: I think he's even I, I'd say that they, they even went back steps. That he wasn't even able to keep like like Wilkes was able to basically keep things the way they were under D'Amico Ryan's with the Niners. I would argue that with Raheem Morris, the team has taken defensively a step backwards with him there. Um, okay, this year their talent wasn't great, they're rebuilding. So you look at him as uh, 19th in yards, 21st in points allowed. It makes sense, right? Okay, I get it. Uh, last year. Aaron Donald out a lot of the year. You're 20th in yards, 19th in points. Uh, okay, I understand it. You still had some other talent, but uh, okay. Let's go to your Super Bowl year. 17th in yards, 15th in points allowed. Like ninth in EPA, ninth in EPA.
1: But that's pretty good. It's pretty good. But they good, were but one it's, and one under uh, Staley. One and one. What do you mean? First in points allowed. First oh, in EPA per play.
0: Th- well, there's my thing, and so you're. That's still a. It's still a pretty jar drop from where they were. And and I go to it and I go, considering that coaching background you talked about, 17 and 31 as a head coach with Tampa Bay. And I, it's a rich background. He's been in the league forever. But what is it about this guy right now that's earning him to get that job? It's like Arthur Smith. Let's use a comparison. It's like Arthur Smith going here to the Seattle Seahawks and for three seasons churning out a 15th ranked, ranked offense and going, okay, now he's a head coaching candidate.
1: Um. I mean, honestly, he was their passing game coordinator in Atlanta when they were, every year, elite passing. Maybe we're looking at it like that? I don't know. It's tough. I can't really explain it. Uh, I'd say maybe you could get Morris as your head coach and Eviro as your defensive coordinator, but apparently you can't even do that because Carolina's blocking it. So, yeah, yeah, uh, Raheem Morris, uh, I wouldn't hate it, but that's because, you know, Life's too short to hate things. Realistically, I know we can do better. That's what I'm going to say about a lot of these hires. I don't hate that many of them, but most of them I look at it and I'm like, I'm sure we can do better.
0: I think I would hate the Raheem Morris hire.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, the thing is, if you're going to hire somebody bad, hire somebody really bad. Or, or you know, like Raheem Morris probably is another one of these high floor guys that guarantees right. you six or seven wins. Like go for the home run. And if you don't hit, you go two and fifteen and you get the number one pick and you're getting Deion Sanders' kid or or whoever ends up the number one pick. I don't know who it's gonna be. Manny uh, in a couple of years. Manny mm-hmm. in a couple of years. Like, like that's what the Bengals did, right? They mm-hmm. they fired Marvin Lewis the next year. They go two and fourteen and they get Joe Burrow. And then that's they right. go four and eleven and uh, four and twelve or whatever, and then they get Shamar Chase and boom, Super Bowl. Like, yeah. what's wrong with that?
0: No, I got, I got no issues with it. So um, I, I, there are some guys I'd like for most part where you're at, where most of these guys are going, okay, all right. I'm okay with that. I get it. But there's been a couple that one, the Graham one that they're interviewing from Oakland. I just, as a Raiders DC, did a little bit better work this last year. I'll give him that. But you know, it's, it's, there's not enough there to, to be. I, it's like you grabbed a random coordinator out of a hat with that one. I feel like a little bit on that one. So it's, I'm, I'm just kind of like, uh.
1: You know he was the uh, defensive coordinator of the year Miami was tanking for Tua?
0: Yeah, well, that's part of what I saw. I'm 30th in yards allowed with Miami, 32nd in points allowed with them yeah, in that
1: year. 32nd in EPA allowed, too. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just, just, just no. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, Brendan. Like, what are we doing here? What? <laughs> What are we Why doing these here? Why do these guys We're get here? to fail
1: up? You should, yeah,
0: you should get to fail this, up. This doesn't work this way. This is not the copacetic for me. I don't, I don't. Come on, we can do better than than just you know uh, that one. Uh, oh, uh, Graham with Oaken. Okay, here we go. Yeah, a lot of
1: these guys. I'd rather just promote Waldron. Like, like Dude, I think uh, I'd rather, much. Yeah, I'd rather promote Waldron than get somebody like uh, um, um, Raheem Morris. I think.
0: I think it would too. Well, I want an offensive minded coach. Let's also remember that with Raheem on top of having a bit of a middling defense recently and a poor head coaching career in his other stops. Uh, he's also a defensive minded head coach. With At least with Waldron, you have a guy that is offensively minded driven. And especially if you were to know that Waldron was being held back in recent years from running the full Rams offensive attack in, in a way that he's now not going to be. But um, yeah, I'm I, I'm not with that one. Um, how about Mike Kafka? he get you excited? Yeah.
1: That's a really interesting one, right? It, it's like, kind of like he's, it's kind of like he's jumping the line in front of Eric the Enemy, yeah. who's just kind of being left out in the cold here. Never gets an interview, no matter what.
0: <laughs> and
1: yeah. realistically, you'd think he'd be the next guy up, and Kafka would be the guy who still has to actually mm-hmm. like prove himself from the Andy Reed tree, Randy Reed tree. But uh, Kafka would be like trying to hit a seven hundred foot home run. I admit you're probably going to miss the ball, but you hit it. You hit it. Um, you know, I'm not against anybody who fell off the Andy Reid tree, but man, I mean, the, the, the stuff in New York was not good, obviously, but I don't know how much I can kill him for that. He had no receivers. No, didn't really have much of a quarterback. I I don't like Saquon. I think Saquon sucks. I'm not a fan.
0: He's injured Uh, a lot. Yeah.
1: So not much to work with there. And my understanding is that, uh, Brian DeBole is like the hardest person in the world to work with. It's like, he seems like an a-hole. Yeah, he seems like a complete dick. So maybe every time they go to that him, going on here,
0: every time they go to them, the sideline, he's over there screaming and or, or making a face at the quarterback or at somebody on the sideline. Like he's got no composure over there to keep it mm-hmm. together. It's mm-hmm. like a live wire. Yeah,
1: um, but you know, if we got Ka- Kafka, I would doubt would, to me kind of be like the hire that like okay, this might end up in two and fifteen. This might end up <laughs> in the number one overall pick. Yes, but. I, I am okay with that. You know, I I can live with that because the upside is still there and I'd kind of rather do that than Raheem Morris.
0: Yeah. I think if I had to be drawn between the two, I I probably would lean there. I I certainly, as you said, with a look at the job he's done with the New York Giants, you don't say, well, you had, you haven't had the best of parts. That's fair, but you've also not gotten the most out of necessarily what you've had there either on the other side of it. Um, But I'm just as as much the anti Raheem Morris. Let's also acknowledge this thing too that you're doing by Raheem Morris. You're handing the Rams two third-round compensatory picks. That's true. Let's 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 just be ultimately sure here (laughs) that if we're gonna make our uh, the guy the team that's been owning us here uh, for the last four years overall, you know, better uh, on the back of two picks by taking one of their coaches, um, who you know they just go from him back to Staley, Brendan right? Staley's on the open market. Staley comes back to LA. They get better at that at their defensive coordinator position. You yeah. give them two third round picks and you maybe get wor- much worse at the head coaching job. So that's yeah. one of the reasons with Raheem, just no, please no. Just no. Yeah.
1: Let's get an offensive head coach and then get Brandon Staley as our defensive coordinator instead. How about that? Yeah. There we How go. We cut off the Rams at the pass. You know, they want that's to right.
0: do it. That's right. That's exactly it. Cut it off. The pass is the right way to put it. So I'd, i much rather go that route than the other. Cause Jesus, Oh my God. I saw the Raheem Morris one. I went, what? Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, is there any other candidates on your list that you've got that, uh, maybe are worth, uh, speaking about? Well,
1: I, I, I mean, we don't really need to talk about Dan Quinn anymore cause we've already talked that one to death, I guess. Do we? And... No, well,
0: yeah. I think everybody's kind of aware of him and what he is and where he's at. Yeah. And...
1: Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of not letting one game make or break your view of something or somebody or some entity, but it was a, it was a tough game to get around mentally. Right. It's tough to look at that and not feel a certain way. Like it's like, he doesn't believe in linebackers. Like Dan Quinn doesn't believe in linebackers. It's against his religion to have real linebackers. All of his linebackers are safeties that he's converted to linebackers. Weird.
0: Carol had a weird thing with this too, Brendan, um, which is the, you go to the two tight ends in, in the 12 personnel and defensively, you then match you say nothing in the fact the linebackers were weak and thin, like you talked about, but then you're also running nickel up against 12 personnel. I don't, we did the same thing. It, it sort of puts you from a personnel standpoint on the team. It's like, would you run dime defense against three wide receiver sets? Well, no, that would put us in a, a, a not an advantageous position from a defensive standpoint. Okay. Well, this is the same thing. Why are you running nickel with two tight ends? And uh, we did a little bit of that too, Brendan, and we watched that game. I felt like, Brendan, that was very similar as a game, defensively speaking, to ones that we've seen here in Seattle recently for when it went wrong with the defense, when it started to go sideways. And it it Mm -hmm. has me in a position of just being like, it's not just off the one game. There's other stuff with Dan in addition to this. Defensive-minded head coach, um, his record absent Shanahan. Shanahan might have been the secret sauce to get him to the success he got in Atlanta. You know, really, if you look at it. And once he was removed of that, that, that there was not as much success to be had, he, he does give you, I think that high four thing, So you don't get that potential you're talking about with Kafka that you would have had like the two, I think he's going to get you five, six, seven wins, uh, but not enough to be, you know, truly bad, not enough to be very good. And you're just, you're kind of back into, I think the Carroll basket a little bit too much with Quinn, than than you would be otherwise. And I think we all, that's the point of moving on from Carroll is to go to something different and new, not to remain in the older you would have just kept coach Carroll,
1: Right. Um, people talking about Aaron Glenn. I don't get that one. Like Detroit's defense is bad. Like, like yeah. he, he's getting, you know, he, he's doing some stuff that's impressive, but I don't think he needs to be a head coach yet.
0: No, well, well, their corners don't technically play very good tech. They're, they're not fundamentally sound. They the trouble at times. Just, you know, footwork's not good. Like they get turned around. I I don't, I don't get that one either. <laughs>
1: uh. Brian Johnson, that train seems pretty off the rails right now after the Philadelphia game.
0: Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. think uh, that one's probably going to be. I mean, hell, he's going to be. Maybe they're. I'm hearing they might flip out both coordinators there this off season. That was the way that Sirianni's going to stay is that they're going to potentially change out of both. So, you know, if you're being let go of your last job. Probably not a good indication you're getting a promotion to the next.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I. Um, it's probably a little too early here, but Todd Munkin.
0: He's a guy that does get mentioned. I haven't spent as much time diving into him as I probably should have, Brendan, because he's probably a guy that should be given a lot more respect by what he's done with Lamar and taking him forward as a quarterback there because um, he's truly doing quarterback things, not just running back, playing the quarterback position as he was there with Roman as the coordinator. Um, he does, did a great job, probably should be talked about a lot more. And I'll tell you this, Brendan, if the Ravens do win a Super Bowl, you probably will hear Munkin brought in a little bit more than he's being talked about right now. He does interest me a little bit. I haven't done as much mm-hmm. of the dive on him. I've been looking at other candidates so far, but he does interest me. I like what I've seen from him.
1: Mhm. Um, I did do a write up on Eric Bieniemy, but that one seems kind of DOA. There's just something there something that's there, just huh? not clicking. There's not mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a scarlet letter. He's got the scarlet letter.
0: Does he got some incriminating pictures somewhere that the NFL is aware of and they're keeping under wraps, but that's keeping him from being a head coach? Is that what it is?
1: I mean, I mean, I I know that the Andy Reid tree has not had the most success, but I I find it very weird that one of these sad sack teams doesn't at least give him a shot, right? They
0: get hired at least, right? Yeah. Whether they have success or not, they all get hired. I mean, it's it's one way or another, you know. And you mentioned the Kafka jumping. The I mean, you just you imagine Beanie when he turns on his computer in the morning. He's like, Mike Kafka interview request with the Seattle. Se- Mike
1: Kafka. The quarterback coach for us, the quarterback coach <laughs> He's got me croissants every morning. Yeah, yeah, I literally scouted him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I remember when Kafka was a player, I too. Do, I, actually I do too. When he was the quarterback. I, do you remember the
0: combine with him? Like, he was like that that last quarterback in the combine where they, they show all the top guys, they're like, whoosh, whoosh, and then here comes the big, awkward six foot five, you know, and he comes out, and everything looks clunky and slow. And yeah, he's
1: backup, career backup. Yeah. um, I don't think I really had too much else that I've looked at so far. There are going to be a couple more names that I look at some super, super low key guys. They're going to that I'm eventually going to have to look at. But I'm, I'm, you know, just because you may as well cover all your bases, not because I think there's any real chance like Steve Spagnuolo. Remember him? I he do. Was the, yeah. yeah. Giants he, head he, coach. No, he was the Giants DC when they won the Super Bowl. Oh, that's right. And then that's he right. became Rams head coach and was really bad.
0: That's right. Maybe
1: he's due for a second chance, but I really hope it's not here.
0: He's um, done great work with the Chiefs. So he has done really a really fine job oh, yeah. with them. And and I mean that 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 team needed to lean on that defense this year in ways they hadn't prior with Mahomes. And he's they've yeah. been pretty solid for years, but they really were able to give them a bit of a pillar this year defensively.
1: Uh, I still don't hate the Brian Flores idea. I don't think I like it though. The more I look at it, it's a defensive guy. I like what he's doing though. I really do like what he did this year in Minnesota, but maybe it's not head coaching material.
0: Maybe another, another year of let's get him some talent in Minnesota to work with now to where he's maximizing everything where there's, there's like drips that he's got to try to turn into cups of water. Like, okay, give him a year now where maybe you give him some more talent and that, talent from last year goes a little bit further and now maybe he can really show what he can do once you give him some stuff. But I, his star is still, I think a guy that's on the rise and and eventually does strike me as a guy eventually will be a head coach in this league at some point or
1: another. Uh, Alex Van Pelt got fired from the Browns, which surprised me, but he was a guy I was kind of taking a peek at a little bit as a a Stefanski tree Mm. individual. So I, I don't know about that one now. Maybe there was a reason why he got fired. Maybe they just fired him because they were like, you're free now, run free, go, go get your job wherever you want to. I don't know what to make of that one, but I kind of was interested in Van Pelt.
0: Van Pelt had a, uh, a, a, a bad massage experience. Um, Mm. And that's really at the heart of that I've heard. So um, it's, uh, you know, something there back, a connection to Deshaun. I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, that's what the rumor remember says. So, now about um, uh, that is an odd one, Brennan, how do you hold the offensive coordinator responsible there when you got to have to peel Joe Flacco off a of couch at 46 years old and try to get the best out of him? You know, I mean, yeah. it, how many teams
1: of, in NFL history have won a game with four different quarterbacks in one year?
0: Right. I, I don't know. I, and maybe it's just that Stefanski there feels like I'm the guy that is making this happen offensively. You're just here riding my coattails. So it doesn't matter who's riding the coattails. I'm, I'm the driver here. You know, I'm the captain now. So maybe it's just a bit of that. But, uh, yeah, that's an odd one, though, to let him go. Very strange, strange move.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Um, Yeah, you did Brian Callahan already, which, um, by the way, I think we already discussed this, but the Callahan idea becomes more interesting if he's bringing his dad to be Mm -hmm. the offensive coordinator or offensive line coach.
0: It does. I think at the very little, you're getting some benefit from the dad coming into play, you know, kind of like Kyle Shanahan still gets the benefit from Mike Shanahan being, you know, here, yeah. there and around. You know what I mean? Like, there's no doubt his his dad's giving him help and tidbits through the weeks and helping him out. So you are you are getting at least that, I think, but uh, maybe a position coach on top of it and a hell of an offensive line coach back in the day, Mr. Callahan.
1: I I'd argue he's still considered to be the premier offensive line coach in the NFL. Like, he, he did great work in Cleveland, did great work in Dallas, did work in Washington, uh, a couple other places as well. Um, he He's, that's his thing.
0: Yeah, it's a fair point. That's a guy that's one of those guys that you talked about should be a coordinator, should be a line coach. Callahan got all the way up to head coach, probably always should have remained in that offensive line coach lane. That was the best spot yeah. for him. But sun's on the rise, man. The sun's making it happen. Uh, Garth night, thank you for the five dollar donation. Says Brendo's uh, Brendan's video from a couple days back had me convinced Waldron should stay at the very least. Compared to some of these offensive coordinators up for head coaching gigs. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I uh, I made a video about this the other day, and I've mentioned this a few times in videos since then, kind of asking like, okay, um, what makes these guys so much better than Waldron? What makes Bobby Slowick? better than Waldron like I I slow Houston this year 13th in points 15th in EPA so slightly above average Mm -hmm. like Waldron's done better than that but Waldron had a better offense than that last year he had in a slightly worse offense this year with a bottom three offensive line Mm -hmm. like Waldron has three years of coordinator experience Slowick has one Ben Johnson has two um the uh, Canales has one And Canales, by the way, yeah, it was impressive because of what he had to work with, but that was a mediocre offense. They were 20th in the league. They didn't even Mm -hmm. score 21 points a game. So I did ask, like, wait a minute, guys, what are we sure that Waldron shouldn't be in the same conversation with a guy like Canales or Slowick?
0: Yeah, I think it's a fair point there, especially bringing into let's let's add a little bit on top of this that. I think with Waldron, there's a fair point to be said here that the offense has not been allowed to run fully and free in its time here, that there's been at least some minor hindrance to it, especially when it comes to utilizing the outside running game aspect of things. And then also throwing, of course, to the middle of the field and intermediate routes in general. So, you know, if, if I was to hear that in the background, that wouldn't surprise me at least about Waldron. And then to understand that he's accomplished those marks that you talk about, albeit he's had a talented crew overall and in a lot of other places. That's still very impressive, and I would be open to it as well. I I wouldn't be uh, opposed to going keeping in that realm with it and saying, you know, this this is actually you know um, a guy that is really a good coordinator, and and consider what he's had to do against what he went up against. So uh, I think it's a fair point, totally fair point. There's a little bit of that unknown there, right, Brendan? Where it's like, yeah, but what was the real it's, it's like the dynamic between Schneider and Carroll. You know, what was the, who made this call? Who made that call? What, when was one guy overridden? Were you allowed to just put your offensive attack together every week uh, wholesale without Carroll coming in and being like, eh, take that out, take this out, take this out? You get to run that once. You get to run that once. That's so I feel a little bit like how it is, you know, especially the fly sweeps. Like you get one fly sweep a game. That's all you get. <laughs> no more. Yeah.
1: At, at the very least, if we hire a defensive head coach, I would really like to look at trying to get Waldron back. Because then you could maintain continuity.
0: Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. You could. And uh, it, especially if you you look at maybe some of the potential hires, those head, you know, some of these guys, we don't know who they're going to look for at their OC. And if it's one that's like a big question mark, especially a lot more happier to go to the more safe waters and what we know on this one a bit, because I know that he can, I know that he can get this team offensively in the good spot. His defensively are really where our big questions are at right now. Garth, I want to thank you for all your donations tonight, including another $5 donation here. You are very, very kind, brother. I appreciate you so very much. We do, I should say, on that one. I know Brennan does as well. Kafka schemes Kafka seems like a Hoshka type. He's a big computer brain attached to a human body. He's basically a Vulcan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just again, it's really hard to separate Kafka from the Andy Reid stuff. But yeah. um you know, I'm, I'm open to it. I remember a lot of people three years ago when we hired Waldron really wanted Kafka as the OC.
0: I do remember that as well. So he has been a guy that has been uh, talked about quite a bit and, um, just a tough evaluation when you don't have the parts to work with and then you have middling results and then you go, well, you know, it is why I like Ben Johnson a little bit, Brendan, because when he did come in there, you know, they did, they did have just Amon St. Brown and, a lot of number three kind of wide receivers and the line wasn't quite in the place that it's at right now where it's really humming and he turned that thing around so hugely in the one season even with that kind of secondhand parts versus a guy like Kafka you know got the middling results with the the lesser talent um but he's a guy that they're going to talk to Brendan he's on maybe he comes in there and blows blow Schneider away with that big brain Garth and uh he's able to you know win him over you know they're interviewing him for a reason on this one and it ain't the rooney rule you know what i mean so um okay. see what they do with him but he's an interesting guy and the reed tree man those guys get hired success or not they do get hired unless your name's eric biennemi in which case you are cast out of the village and never allowed back in Right. appreciate you so much Carf. thank you zen Lunatic. Zen Lunatic. Thank you for the $10 donation. I appreciate you, Zen, for that. Very, you guys are very kind and not always on the donations. Thank you so much. Do you think the coach we hire will affect our draft? Or are we BPA no matter if offensive or a defensive guy?
1: Good question. Change, has to change it somewhat. Remember, BPA is subjective, guys. Remember, BPA, everyone's going to have their own opinion on what BPA is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. And the value and what is BPA is the, the value of the board. The value of your board is going to be interconnected Zen back to the scheme that you're running. So it's going to, it's not instructed separately from the scheme or, or your philosophy. So if you need uh, let's, let's think of a position for this that would make, you know, maybe some sense on this where, um, okay. Um, you know, if I've got a guy who's going to run a three, four defense and he just wants space eaters up front to clog it up. Well, then I'm not going to go look for a three-tech, four, three, who may be the most talented, valuable guy on my board, but I go put that most valuable guy, three tech, into that defense who belongs on a four-three defense. I'm that's not going to be smart. That that's not going to be the proper way to construct it. So it's absolutely is informed. It's probably going to make it hard for us to do our mock. We're going to do our mock draft anyway, I think here in a week, Brendan, but it might make it hard if we don't have our head coach quite yet to get an exact that's why you have multiple mocks though, right, Brendan? You have your initial mock to get you just kind of out there and then you push it, you push it along and you refine it from there as you get more exactly, information. Yeah. But um, no, you you would always, you would always want it to be instructed by what you're running from a scheme standpoint. That's going to lead a little bit, but then there's still you leaning to your value on that. So if it is that three, four defense and you know, you've got your space eater, three, four defensive end, or you've got your you know, outside corner, that's a shutdown corner, you know, what's going to be of, you know, what's, who's the better guy who's, who's gives you the bigger, the better upside. They're both scheme fits at that point, but who's just the purely best guy, um, regardless of where your current basically depth's at? just who is the best, what's the best value at that point. And that's the key to our great drafts in recent years is that we've stayed in that value concept and you can still do that with any coach. It's just that kind of commitment that you got to stay in on. Right. I agree. Uh, appreciate you, uh, Zen Lunatic, and a great question at that. On that one, uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the five dollar donation. Uh, thank you so much, brother. It says uh, Callahan's dad is part of that Super Raiders Super Bowl in 'O three. I think that a lot of Raider fans players have conspiracy theories about that. Yeah, that was the one that had the uh, the, 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 the the Pro Bowl center for the Raiders the pre the night before the game. Something happened. I I don't know, still don't understand exactly what, like he freaked out or lost his mind or something. But there were some weird circumstances around that Raiders team.
1: Yeah, that was the one where Gruden went from Oakland to Tampa Bay in the trade, and Oakland didn't change their uh, calls offensively when Gruden left. Uh So in the Super Bowl, Tampa Bay knew all their calls. So I think they threw like three pick sixes in that game or something.
0: That's right. A, I do remember pretty that. Pretty bad yeah.
1: oversight. A, a pretty glaring oversight.
0: It reminds me of the uh, the Russ deal coming in from Denver in that first year, and he was using all the same hand signals uh, that he had in Seattle. Lockett picked up on it and started telling the defense in that game against Denver. Remember that? Yeah. On the sidelines that he was picking that up. So that's pretty funny that uh, you got to change your calls, man. Got to change your calls. But I guess that does make sense. The Robbins thing and then them knowing the calls, that would get some people with the conspiracy theories out going, hmm. yeah. Hmm.
1: Do you remember the uh, Niners-Packers playoff game where uh, T.O. caught the game-winner, the catch
0: 2.0? Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. I watched a documentary on that game once, and I remember Favre telling the story of one of the what he thought at the time was going to be the game-winning touchdown pass. Came on a play where he, because the Niners and Packers at the time both ran the same offense, he ran like this dummy audible where he like, pulled out from under center and like stuck his hand out behind him. And he was like, okay, the Niners are going to see this and think we're audibly into this, but this is just a dummy signal that I'm going to use to throw them off because I know that they know our offense and it worked. So, you know, stuff like that. You're like, I know that you guys know our offense. So I'm going to do a bunch of new stuff to throw you guys off. And I remember watching that and thinking, yeah, that's really cool.
0: That's smart. That's smart. You know, I know, you know, I know, you know. Kind of thing, right? You, yeah. you, you stay ahead on that that point of it. So that is very smart on that. But you got to change your line calls, man. Got to change your – can't hold on to stuff for years on end, man. You'll get it exploited. So uh, that was a good Raiders team. They ran up against a buzzsaw, though, in that Tampa Bay team. I think that's one of the truly great defenses that have been assembled over the last 50 years in football, that Tampa Bay unit. Sap mm-hmm. and Derek Brooks and Rondé Simeon Rice. Rondé Barber. Who's the safety? uh Um, 49ers general manager
1: uh, john lynch
0: john lynch so hell of a unit there hell of a unit they put together very special thank you thank you gar so much man i appreciate you brother uh taker 610 with another two dollar donation thanks for the double donation tonight taker 610 antonio pierce and jared mayo as head coaches what's next bobby wagner
1: really surprised New England just it seemed like they didn't do anything outside of their own building
0: no they just they just they were they were they just they did the thing that teams have been doing recently brendan which is just they they have a this is the guy that's going to be and you're like did you guys really go through a process there or did you you know did you really sift through this one like uh, yeah
1: bob craft trying to save that money for uh now well, i'm not going to get into that but uh he's trying to save money for something
0: Yeah. Let's, let's bring, let's bring back the masseuses full circle here. (laughs) The masseuse references. (laughs) Um,
1: You saving that money for something, but that that's a hell of a step back.
0: Yeah, it really is. Especially when you might've had a guy you would have thought in a guy like Vrabel that would have made so much sense coming in there and and a guy that you know played there and and maybe it didn't maybe it just that wasn't that connection we we're all making it was not as much a, a keen one but yeah they just kind of went okay we're going to this guy and jared's been kind of connected there softly for a while if if, if belichick was going to leave if so this was something that's been understood as to happen and pierce just did a magical job with that raiders team he got that team to play hard for him and and i mean they were a different bunch when he took over from what which probably isn't hard to do right if you've got uh who and mike mcdaniel's running your uh, you know, running your your show and you're taking over as the next head coach, you're going to look pretty nice, right? Oh,
1: Josh he's, McDaniels.
0: Josh McDaniels. Sorry, Josh yeah. McDaniels. He's such a he's such. a, There's so many. Too, there's too many Max in the coaching world in the NFL, Brandon. I'm getting them all confused, but
1: yeah, there are. Um,
0: Pierce done a good job, I will say. Taker, it's it's no uh, coincidence that you have middle linebackers ending up as head coaches. There's actually, I think, been in quite a few. Middle linebackers through the air through the ages that have ended up as uh, head coaches. It's I think a little bit natural. In fact, I think you know D'Amico Ryan's I think is a former middle linebacker. Yes, um, yes. if I'm not mistaken. So there's I think there's a couple of them in the sport right now that were former guys in that spot. They're the cap. They're the captains on defense. They're the signal play callers. there's the, they're the guys making the line adjustments when the quarterback. Does that thing that Brendan was just talking about Brett Favre doing with the pistol look, pistol move thing? He's the guy over there going, oh, pop, 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 right. So there's a lot on the, the middle linebacker's shoulders. We saw that in B Wags this year and what he had to try to carry on his shoulders. Usually like Atlas this year with that defense trying to get everybody in the right place in the right time in the right spot. But um it's it's a natural progression, much I think like quarterbacks going and becoming head coaches as well. It's a bit of just an it's an outstretching of what you're already kind of doing. On the field anyway.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you though, uh Taker. Appreciate you for that. You bind into my talk on that? You bind uh, head coaches as being kind of uh maybe the second most position that you would find in the NFL as a head coach?
1: Seems like it. I mean, Vrabel was another example, right? He was an inside linebacker, mm-hmm. uh singletary, although he flamed out. I mean, he did something right, I guess, at some point. Yeah, he got at least to uh, earn the job. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. I. I. I guess that's. I never really thought about it like that. But now that I think about it, it, feels like a lot of the great coaches either didn't play or barely played. Like John Madden never played a down of NFL football. I remember reading about that.
0: Yeah, it's true. You can be a. It's one of those things. Like you can be a great coach, not necessarily happen to play. And especially now, it seems like it's going more and more in that trend, where a lot of coaches have just been coaches since their twenties now, and that's when they got in and they're they're in it and they're going and they're rolling along. Um, oh, one more dono here from Garth thank you Garth so much for another donation $5 drop it says didn't Belichick have Mayo tapped as his successor in his contract if true that is cool and I hope the best for Mayo was that the truth I I hadn't heard that that was in uh, a Belichick's contract
1: I mean if so that's kind of a that's kind of silly isn't it That that's uh, like why would Belichick care that much about something like that? I don't know. I don't know if I buy that one.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's almost like if it's in the contract, it's more about doing right by Mayo than it is making sure the team's doing right. Cause if you're any person moving on as the head coach, you go, look, the process now is to undertake the process. The Hawks have where you exhaustively go out there and look for all of the possible great candidates that exist. And if you're just tapping one guy to be the successor, then you're not doing that. And we've heard learned here in Seattle, the dangers of just looking always in house for your coaching hires, and that that's not a, that's really not the best trek to take when you have all the possibilities out across the nation to go out there and take a look at. It's cool, Carth. I give you, it is totally cool for Belichick to do for Mayo, and it it's, uh, shows you he did him a solid on that one. And hopefully, Mayo can take advantage of that. Um, he's a guy with a great reputation too, going back to his playing days. He was known as a guy that was basically a coach on the field when he played. <laughs> but I, if I was a Tampa, if I was a New England fan, I'd be like.
1: Eh. You didn't at least want to interview with Vrabel?
0: Yeah, he's like, not not even an interview. Like, not even just a just a call, crap, comment Like, how would you like to go and take over? For... No, not even just not just no. It's mail. Okay,
1: okay. Yeah, I don't get it.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I don't understand it either on that one. But um, cool, cool for him to do it for mail. Definitely a guy that's doing right by his coach if he put that in. That's a hell of a contractual. Like you said, I've never heard of that before in my life, Garth, of a of a coach doing that before. Thank you, though, brother. Appreciate you. Ryan Wilson, thank you for the $5 donation. Says, would you be able to live with Mike Vrabel as head coach and Wink Martindale as a defensive coordinator? If we could add a decent offensive coordinator. I think your decent offense coordinator would probably be Arthur Smith. So you'd have Arthur Smith as your OC, I think, Ryan. You'd have Martindale as your DC and Vrabel as your head coach. You signing up for that, Brendan?
1: I would be okay with that. I could get up for that one for sure.
0: Yeah, I could sign up for it as well here, Ryan, um, because I do think you're getting Arthur Smith. Uh, Martindale is a guy that I've 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 liked a lot from afar for quite a bit of time. I don't think anybody would have taken that New York defense and turned them into a prime crew with where they are from a talent standpoint. The defensive tackles were good up front with Leonard Williams and um, uh, Lawrence, but Thibodeau's been kind of a you know he's what what are you going to do with that guy right? Um, and he's a he's a duck. I'm kidding, <laughs> but um, it's with. Um, With Martindale, you've got a guy in Vrabel who will keep him under control. He's not going to let him just send the Blitz house all the time. Vrabel's going to have a a very eager hand in that room, defensively speaking. So I like him keeping Martindale just under enough control in that respect. But that'd be a hell of a staff. That would be a hell of a staff, Ryan. I certainly would not be shaking a finger at that, man. Um, You know, you can do a lot worse, a lot worse than that crew.
1: Absolutely. Sign me up for that. If that's our coaching staff going into 2024, I'm feeling like this is going to be a pretty good year.
0: I do too. I do too. And keeping in mind with Martindale is that this is a guy. If you like Mark, Mike McDonald, then Martindale a guy that you should have some. At least uh, you don't have to. You can like McDonald more, but at least be satisfied if you can't get McDonald to get into Martindale because you're getting a bit of an offshoot of that. Um, if you do have a bit of a preference for that one guy than the other, in the way okay. that uh, that does look. But uh, thank you, uh, Garth Taker Six Ten, Zen Lunatic, and uh, Garth Knight for all of your donations. Codedad, you too, and Don Mata, you becoming a new member of the channel. Guys are very kind tonight on all of your donations as ever here. Please do, if you guys could for me, hit that like button here. Get, of course, subbed up if you're not already to the Seahawks' Brandon Nelson and the Hawks' nest as we will be doing these shows here throughout this off season, We've got a load of shows lined up here, including next week. We're going to be taking a look and doing our first mock draft next week. Brennan, yes?
1: Yeah, I think that is the plan. I mean, if we hire somebody in the next week, which I doubt, I imagine we'll talk about that a little bit, but for now, that is the plan.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, one last question. I'm going to put, I'm going to put bread in your feet to the fire. Okay. I'm going to do it like the old school robbers did it where they take the little, take the little match and they put it at the end of the end of the toes. Who is going to be the Seahawks next coach? Your life's on the line. Your answer is determined by this. Okay under your head give me give me the i i I, i'll just you know whether you like it or don't like what what do you just feel like in this situation
1: is going to happen canales wow i'll say canales because of his seattle roots basically growing up in that coaching tree for over a decade having this good year in tampa i feel like it's either him or variable i'm gonna go with that I feel like I'll, it's either him or Mike Vrabel.
0: I'll take the Vrabel side of it because I think both uh, Vrabel's getting his share of heat. and I, that, That's, I think, as good enough as any that he's the guy. But uh, that'd be surprising. But to your point, Schneider did say we want to carry on the culture. And we've all been thinking, well, we will carry on the culture. But there's a guy that does directly understand how to carry through the culture, how to keep it going, and and understands what he's getting into in the building when he walks in. So he would check all those boxes as well, Brendan, to your point of it. But uh, I like that. That's bold. You're going for your number five as the option they take. That's yeah. nice. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's, that's that's strong, brother. That's really strong. Hey, it's good to see Mark Sanchez in the house. Mark, been a bit of time seeing, seeing you on the chat. Hope you're doing well out there. Uh, thank you for the $5 donation. He says, what's the deal with Eric Bieniemy? Why don't any teams give him a shot?
1: Hey, he's got the scarlet letter, man.
0: There is some scarlet letter here, Mark. And as to what it is, I can give you some thoughts on it. Um, there's something that went down at Colorado, supposedly that's sort of this worry. Um, he did some coaching thing at Colorado that there's scandal went down there that a lot of people think is going to get dredged back up if he becomes a head coach and becomes more of a story where it's been kind of pushed away at this point. Um, but I, I don't really have, and Brennan may both have turned this over a few times, Mark, and kind of being, uh, unsure of why this is the case with him. When you look at the Andy Reid guys underneath them, I mean, Jesus, Mike Kafka even. Everyone gets a job. And like Brendan said, not all of them are successful, but they do get a job. And this guy mm-hmm. was the offensive coordinator under the best offensive seasons of the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> you know, Let's just go behind that, right? Best offensive seasons, Brendan, of both the Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid. Right? Both yeah. since. No offense better than the, than the time of what he was running as the OC for them. So it, it doesn't add up at all that he hasn't been given even an interview request from anybody, much less being given a job here. And the past year, nobody was going to make anything happen with that Washington team. Everybody knew Rivera was basically a lame duck with the new ownership coming in there and taking over that they were going to have to basically get to the playoffs and have tremendous success to have any shot. And then he's got a fifth round pick and Hal with an offensive line that's okay. And then past Terry McLaurin, not much else. He did all right with it. He did serviceable work with what there was to work with. But he does seem to be a guy that just can't seem to get any love when it comes to the NFL. And I wish I had a better reason. Usually I would have a better reason, Mark. Maybe, Brendan, you've got something you're aware of. But I just have never heard anything as far as a legitimate reason as to why he has been given this scarlet letter, why it's been tattooed into his chest.
1: Yeah, and it's it's every team. All he needs is one team, and he would have a, and he would have a head coaching job. Yeah. So that tells me there's something legitimate, but I don't know what it is.
0: Yeah. Something there's in the background that's un is unreported about, I guess, with it. Because otherwise we've really not seen a candidate like this go through the years. I can't think of one, Brendan, that uh, should have been eligible, should be getting some job uh, interviews, should be eventually getting hired. Who's just completely glossed over. It does. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't get it. I really yeah. don't. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that donation, and that's a uh, it's a great question. We'll see where B. lands this offseason. Maybe he finally lands at a place where he can be an offensive coordinator with some actual talent, and then take that. I mean, maybe Ben Johnson gets hired and he goes to Detroit or something. You know, right. and along those lines, and where he can then really show it off and then get that chance at some point. So, mm-hmm. we'll see with that. Uh, I appreciate you guys watching tonight. I thank you guys, everyone, for the donations in the chat. Uh, You guys are very kind as ever on that. We will be back here next Thursday. Unless we've got some breaking news about the head coaching hire, we're going to be taking a look at the draft. We're going to be doing our first live mock draft here this offseason one of many that we'll be doing on this channel this offseason so uh tune back in that next thursday for that on that side of it we'll keep our ear here to the ground as far as if there is any rumors or anything that does jump up that is breaking news between me and brennan here throughout this offseason you guys can count on that any final thoughts brennan on this coaching search or do you think we covered it all here
1: yeah i think we got it pretty good i think we got it pretty good i'm um, i'm uh Feeling it. I'm feeling it, man. The last couple of days, especially he's, they've given us reason to believe that something intriguing is going to happen here. It's not going to be boring.
0: They really have. They've, they've given us so many good indications about them doing this properly, Brendan, and them taking just the right exhaustive, perfect little steps along every route of this to make sure that they're doing everything they possibly can to bring in the right candidate. And that should then bear out the right candidate. So if you're you're not trying to do the Jared Mayo he's got the job thing but actually here we go we're we're going to embrace this process or like John Schneider said let it also educate us a little bit about where we're at and where we need to go as far as continually thinking forward here in this NFL and how it evolves. Uh, then they're doing those steps, and they're interviewing some very bright minds in this in this sport here, and some guys that definitely have a lot of potential to take this program forward. So, an exciting time to be a Seahawks fan. I've heard from many people, Brendan. I'm sure you have as well in your chat about a um, you know a rejuvenation a little bit in some of the minds and thoughts about where this team potentially is going in the future. A little bit less of a certainty about I know what we're going to get on NFL Sundays, and more of there being a question mark, both for the good and the bad. But there being a level of an excitement. of attached with that here as we go into the future which is kind of cool to see i do feel it a little bit myself as well well thank you guys for watching we'll be back in a week until that time as we're in the midst of this coaching search keep it the forefront of your mind do not ever forget especially right now as we're about to hire the next seahawks coach who's about ready to hopefully take us back to promised land please never you forget especially in the off season there is no off season here in seattle go hawks
1: oh hawks